0: Hi, everybody. It's Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. Saturday night, and it's time for thinking. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're having a wonderful weekend. Relaxing, enjoyable, engaging, full of love and togetherness, connectedness, and the kind of productive conflict that sharpens all our mental whetstones of steel. Mike, who do we have first?
1: All right. Well, up first today is Matthew. Matthew wrote in and said, how can you demonstrate the power of psychology to someone who views it as nothing more than superstition? sort of like believing in a deity. Isn't it true that to outsiders, therapy and learning to trust your emotions is not that different from what religious people call faith? That's from Matt.
0: Hello, Matt. Um, what, uh, who, who are you talking to or who are you thinking of talking to about psychology?
2: Yeah, this, this is a pretty personal question for me. And there is a theoretical component to the question, but I think the personal is more uh, important, so I will jump into that uh, as long as we can at some point remember to talk about the theoretical um, so this uh, it's around my brother, and about uh, about a year ago, I stopped talking to my parents, and I th- well actually it'd be more accurate to say that my parents stopped talking to me. Um, I tried to communicate with them uh, the problems that I saw in our relationship. And I had a Skype call with them talking about some of the problems. Uh, And then afterwards, we were communicating through email. And my mom, or my, my dad rather, wrote and said that, you know, your mom isn't comfortable communicating through email, um, or she's not comfortable communicating through Skype. She wants to communicate through email. Then after that, uh, a couple weeks went by, and then they called me out of the blue and just went on as as if nothing was a problem. And uh, I said, wait, wait, you know i don't I don't just want to talk about the weather i I don't feel like we've resolved this. And um, I said, "I don't know if I want. You, I don't know if I want you in my life." And then my dad kind of got choked up, and then he he said, "Okay, Matthew," and then hung up the phone. And so that's the last time I've talked to them. Uh, and my my brother doesn't see anything the same way um, and it's been, it's been quite a struggle he's fighting tooth and nail to, to not see psychology and I, we've had conversations about therapy and he's admitted that there are some things that um, he notices about his own relationships, he's married um, so his relationship with his wife and also his relationship with our parents And, uh, whenever I talk to him about psychology, he's close-minded, but I I don't know if that's because he's just a rational person and very skeptical. Um, No,
0: it's because he's married.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, look, let's just back up for a sec.
0: Like, I'm real sorry to hear about your parents. Um... Mike tells me that you're in therapy, so you're getting professional help with this transition. And I'm, I just, I'm really sorry about about all of that. Uh, I can't can't fathom how parents, how a parent could just say, "Okay, click," more or less, right? That that's it's incomprehensible to me. But the world is full of people who make no sense to me. Uh, I'm sure I make as little sense to them, and that's just part of the ecosystem of humanity that open-minded people need to accept so I just I wanted to say that's that's a hell of a thing
2: thank you thank you yeah it was difficult still is yeah and I I want I want this great relationship with my brother um we we connect on an intellectual level and I've talked to my therapist about um, our relationship, and she talks about different kind the eight stages of intimacy. I'm not sure if you've heard of that, but she says we have this intellectual intimacy, and he is a an, an, excuse me an anarchist, and um, he actually got me into libertarianism, and that's how I found this show, but. He, he. I mean, he he will listen to the DRO stuff um, that you talk about, but when it comes to uh, relationships and psychology, not so much. And um, part of it, you know, I just you're right. I mean, the relationship with his wife is a huge. Hurdle, and um, maybe if I could talk to her <laughs> it, it it sort of reminds me of that that movie the game, where um they have to contrive all these elaborate scenarios um just to get through to the guy, but um yeah. I'm well, not sure if that was a
0: trail off pause for thought. I guess I know, it was a pause for thought. I know. Thought. It was a
2: pause for thought. No, but I guess what I'm getting at it. so I, I watched your series on objectivism and you know you said that Ayn Rand she couldn't she couldn't change people's mind if they didn't want to hear what she was saying. And that's sort of how I feel when I'm talking to my brother about psychology. And you know the metaphorical crowbar I I don't know if it's there because he's he's been adamant that what I'm saying is not working, and he's very wait, wait, uh,
0: what? What you're saying about what? <laughs> A lot of topics.
2: Yeah. Well, his complaints uh, have been that my uh, my conversation is negative. Like it, it oftentimes comes back to problems from childhood, problems, um, and he's, he's not comfortable talking about that. He doesn't like conflict. He's very conflict avoidant. And, um, I've tried, I've tried everything and we have conversations that sometimes last for up to five hours and it's just, I go, I feel like I'm going in a circle and beating my head against a wall. Um so i I feel like if he could you know get some some help that um th- through therapy and so on, then that could improve our relationship um but it's it's very frustrated when he's he listens to all my arguments, and, but he still says, I don't think that's for me. You know, it's more like this, this personal decision, like, well, you you know, therapy, that's uh, it's yeah, good so that it's working like, uh, for you. Uh, uh, I'm
0: joining a jazz band. Well, that's good. Uh, I, I don't really want to join a jazz band. <laughs> no, you have to join this jazz band. Jazz is for everyone. Jazz is the best. It's like, whoa i 'm glad that you're enjoying your jazz life i don 't really want to join a jazz band I don't, I don't. no, you must write that kind of stuff right that's how he perceives it maybe
2: it is like 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 it's a hobby of mine or something um, r- stamp rather than, collecting it's for everyone <laughs> everyone,
0: everyone drop what you 're doing collect stamps right 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 and and there is a um I mean, I got six million thoughts, but the one, the one I'll just sort of briefly mention is that if people say, well, I guess you need therapy, but I don't, it's sort of similar to saying, well, you know, you, you broke your leg and you need rehab, like you need physical rehabilitation. I didn't break my leg, so I don't need it. Why are you asking me to go for physical rehabilitation when my leg is perfectly healthy, right?
2: Well, but in this case, it's not an accident. <laughs> I didn't break my leg.
0: Okay, but you're, okay. even if somebody else broke your leg, my leg is not broken, so I don't need to go to rehab.
3: Right, right.
2: Yeah, and uh, it, it's just really hard to tell somebody, no, you have, you have these feelings that you're suppressing. And uh, uh, if he won't acknowledge that, you know, because we've talked about anger. And I've told them how I feel about my childhood and all the anger. And then I've gone into some of the similar – somewhat similar things around bullying and stuff that happened and how our parents responded to the bullying. And Wait, bullying that happened? Oh, oh. Man, that's, uh, that's uh, vague, vague award
0: prize of the night so far goes to bullying that happened. <laughs> <laughs> what it- well,
2: I don't, I don't mean bullying that my – maybe my – it was bullying in the schoolyard, so outside of the family. You know, so and you and your brother came... didn't have a
0: bullying. There was no bullying aspect to your relationship?
2: So we're seven years apart, uh, but there was, there was teasing. There was... Um, you're, you're younger, I assume. Yes. Yes. Uh, so, so there was, absolutely. And um, we had fights... Especially when we were younger, we had fights.
0: What do you mean by fights?
2: Well, let's see. I would, uh... you know, I'm remembering bits and pieces of it. So, uh, excuse me if I try to piece it together. No, but... I just, I
0: just mean. Do you mean like verbal fights, uh, physical fights? That's all I mean.
2: Verbal, mostly verbal. Uh, I remember one time. I threw a baseball bat, he slammed the door, and then I threw a baseball bat at the door and put a huge dent in the door. Um, but most of the time it was verbal fights. Um, like I said, he would tease me about pimples, um, and actually He would get tease you
0: about like all your about, pizza face, stuff like that?
2: Sort of, yeah, and he he actually tried to pop my pimples. Um, so it was an invasion of personal space. What, like he'd sit on you and try and pop your pimples? There was no sitting, but...
0: Well, he's got to corner you in some way to invade your personal space, right?
2: Yes. No, he... He said, oh, I just have to pop that pimple, and then he would go and... He would go and try to pop my pimple. And sometimes I would, you know, get run away or swat him away. But other times he would – other times I guess I let him pop them because I I wasn't sure really about proper hygiene. Uh, I I didn't have that kind of role model. And so uh, it was an insecurity – sort of, that he was exploiting, you could say. Right. Um, So, yeah, there was teasing, there was bullying. Um, The one instance that we talked about uh, where he experienced bullying on the playground, and he came to our parents' And said, "You know I'm being teased about my pants, uh, my corduroy p- brown <laughs> pants and like he asked uh, our parents to buy him new pants and they yeah, res- get me
0: some nondescript
2: Levi's, right get me <laughs> yeah.
0: get me something that doesn't stick out. Oh I had those corduroys too man they're, they're horrible like you, you run it's like.
2: <laughs> You can hear them hear a mile away, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. And, and you, you, you know, you break into a sprint. You're afraid your legs are just going to catch in fire and you're going to get this polyester molten slag going down your inner thigh. But, yeah, I, know I, I get some sense of those pants. Not to, you know, when your parents – well, in my case, your mom's buying you food uh, – sorry, buying you um, clothing by the pound from thrift stores. Uh, thr- thrift stores is not always uh, the most ideal fashion statement to be making on the planet.
2: Oh, yeah, and being the younger child, I got all kinds of hand-me-downs, um, so I can relate. But um, Anyway, so what happened when well, uh, when
0: you wanted pants from your parents?
2: They they said, uh, I don't know if suck it up is right, but they said um, in a nicer way, like, well, some people are just mean and – You've got to You have to not it.
0: care as much what other people think. Yeah, and,
2: exactly. Why why are you letting it's it bother you? they're thinking, if, if
0: the only thing they were doing was thinking, then it wouldn't be bullying by definition, right?
2: Yeah. So when I asked him how he felt about that, he said, uh, I felt a minor annoyance, but uh, I didn't He didn't he didn't feel angry." And when I said uh like when I was kind of getting into his child's and when i was trying to empathize with this child i was like come on mom like what the hell i've i've got these pants and people are making fun of me and you won't buy me new pants and and he took that as very hostile um he said something like he was he was taken aback he was offended by my anger towards as if i was trying to tell him what to feel you know and I said, well, that, that wasn't well, my intention. it sounds a
0: intention. little bit like it. It sounds a little bit like it, Matt. I mean, if he says, it's always a challenge, you know. I mean, let, let me just clear something up off the bat in case people are listening to this for the first time. You know, we're using the word psychology. I'm not a psychologist. I took, what, a, a year's college course in psychology. I'm not a psychologist. And so I've done therapy and all that, but um, just want to be clear for that for people. So, um, but it is tough. You know, I, I've had in this show, point any fingers. I've had in this show countless instances where people tell me they're not bothered by something, right? And I know that it's not the case. I know it's not the case. Yeah. But the problem is can't prove it. Can't prove it. And so you're like the cop who are like, yeah, I know the guy did it. Can't prove it. Turn him loose, right? Can't prove it. (laughs) And when people... Like if you have a memory of your brother, you know, sobbing or getting angry or putting his fist through a wall, then you could remind him of that. And he could say, oh, you know, it was just hormones or whatever. But if he says right now, he's not bothered by it. I mean, I've had people on this show who say, oh, you know, I have this friend. He does this terrible thing to me and this terrible thing to me and this terrible thing to me. But I love him. (laughs) And mm, I'll sure. say, really? Because that doesn't sound to me like, and it's like, nope, I love the guy, I love the guy, he's great, you know, and, and so on. At which point I'm like, okay, well, I, you, you cannot, um, like either the person is lying, in which case accusing somebody who's lying when you have no evidence will always cause them to double down on the lie. And counterattack with, oh, now you're telling me how I feel. I don't fit your theory. And so I must be reprogrammed to fit what you think, right? I've seen and, and so you do this. I've seen you just accept it and then later yeah. on
2: you say, oh, but you said that.
0: <laughs> And Yeah, uh, now, I mean, if there's contradictions, right, if there are contradictions, then I can point those out. But I can't tell somebody they're wrong when they're open. Like maybe if it was one-on-one and, and, or, or if we were in the same room, I could read body language, but especially on, the, on Skype. You know, I mean, if somebody tells me they love someone who is obviously abusive, what am I going to say? No, you don't. But that's a form of self-erasure, right? And that's the trap. Because then I would be erasing the other person. Because either they're lying and they know it, in which case they'll just double down. Or they're lying and they don't know it, in which case the abuser's alter ego is fully in control of the emotional apparatus, in my opinion. And you can't, you can't get through so if if your brother says, your brother says, well, I just had mild annoyance, and you don't have any evidence of the contrary, you can say, are you sure? Are, you know, because it seems to me like you might be more bothered by that. I don't want to tell you what you feel or whatever. But if he simply says, I just felt my, mild annoyance at the time. I barely even remember it. I don't know why you're so hung up. It's like, okay, well, wh- what can you do? You I mean, you, you can't. They win, so to speak, right? If they're telling the truth, then it would be wrong to tell them they feel differently than what they feel. And if they're not telling the truth and they know it, they're just going to double down. And if they don't know it, the chances of getting through are even slimmer.
2: Right, right. And you know what the you know what my evidence was, <laughs> uh, which isn't entirely evidence, but I, I said, well, you know. Uh, in a kind of coy way, like, do you, th- do you think it's a coincidence that you listened to lots of angry music? Uh, and then I sent him studies that have linked angry music to, you know, depression and suicidality. Well, see, now that's, but I, I know it's that's, not a that's, proof. That's, that's,
0: that's, no, that's not proof, but it's evidence, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and what, what you're doing there, I mean, the fact that I obsessively listened to side three of Pink Floyd's The Wall for about three years... <laughs> might have been a clue about what was going on for me emotionally in my family. But, you know, my family's response was to hide the record. (laughs) That's going to help. But so there's evidence where he says, you know, so if he listened to, I don't know, really angry music, then um, you say, look, there are these studies, this may be an indication. He might say, well, that's interesting. I guess I'd never really thought about that. I guess I must have been kind of angry if this music really spoke to me. Or he could just say, so I like music with some energy. Now that makes me crazy?
2: Well, in yeah. Case, he, again,
0: what can you do, right?
2: He responded okay. with, uh, oh, I think I would have liked angry music no matter what kind of childhood I had.
0: Right. Okay. And in which case? you can like, say, the, the, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Listen, you, 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 when you push people... They just resist. Yeah, right. So you can provide evidence. You can open listen, right? I mean, but but you can't corner people. And I mean, you can if you have evidence, right? You can if if you have evidence, uh, and uh, you you can push back a little bit if you have indications, right? Like he was really into angry music or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But. Um, you know, you know, the old saying, which is foundational to changing the world is you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You cannot get that horse's head in the water and make that horse drink. You can lose weight yourself. You can't starve other people. If they're interested in how you lost weight, they'll say, tell me more or whatever. But you you can't. And you're engaged in this dance with your brother called I have this truth. And he's like, well, it's your truth. It's not the truth. It's your truth. And if you want to pursue it, great. Don't think that it's me right yep and you can't win that you can't win that and all you're doing is you are hardening his defenses you are making his avoidance stronger right assuming you're right and i'm gonna just assume that you're right because you're a listener to this show <laughs> but i'm just assuming that you're right you're in therapy so you're you're working on this stuff so if you're right you know trying trying to corner people all you do is make them better at getting away right Mhm. Mm-hmm.
2: And well, and, I, and through ahead. our conversation um, Sorry to interrupt But through our conversation I found more evidence um, He He at one point got Extremely angry and uh, Blew up at me He um,
0: Well at one point is another vague <laughs> I don't know what time period we're talking about here uh,
2: It was the last time we talked <laughs>
0: Oh so not when you were 10 Or whatever but okay got it
2: Yeah 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 so we, we were talking, I was talking about therapy and I was making, uh, another case for therapy, which was how, how are your children going to, um, grow up? Uh, and I was pointing out some of the, the communication, the miscommunication that he had with our parents and around emotions and, um, this was actually something his wife, as an aside, this was his, something his wife pointed out um, when he was talking to our our father. He, uh, he didn't ask him how he felt about his retirement, and so his wife pointed that out, and he said, "Oh, that's true. That's um, I didn't notice that." And so, anyway, I was in in this conversation. I was talking about. Um, you know, what, what happens when the roles are reversed? You know, don't you want your child to have that kind of connection to, to open up to you? And, uh, <clears throat> after that, he, like I said, he blew up, he, um, got extremely, uh, angry that I was Continuing to press this issue, and that's when he said, "We only talk about things that are negative, and why can't we just, you know, go back to talking about the Fed or something?" <laughs> and he's like, "You know, you're you're a terrible salesman." And
0: uh, he said, "You're a terrible salesman."
2: He said, "I'm a terrible salesman."
0: And what does he think you're? Tra- are you trying to sell self knowledge to him? Well, that's him? what that I he- asked
2: him. Is like, what do you, what do you think I will gain? Because a salesman gains money, um, and he's he couldn't really answer that. He's like, I I don't know what your motive
0: is. He doesn't know what your motive is. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. okay. So
2: I was you know trying to get him to think about this and ask. Ask the question why Why did I lose my temper? Because he blames it. Uh, we, we talked through email after that point because he went to Europe on vacation. But um, he he blamed it on that he was tired and that he didn't uh, he didn't have a lot to eat, so he was hungry. And he said I was being pushy. Um, so, not taking any any responsibility, um, but he did at least apologize for losing his temper.
0: Yeah, but apology without self knowledge is just a promise of repetition. I mean,
2: yeah. Part of what I'm struggling with is I don't know the degree to which uh, what he's doing. Uh, you know, is, is conscious because with my parents, I could see, well, you know, they acted differently when they were not in the family, but he is like this. Um, right. Sorry.
0: I want to make sure I understand that. But with your parents, you said your parents acted differently when they're not in the family.
2: Uh, so uh, Not, uh, not around me. So, you know, um, my mother was a receptionist, so she would pick up the phone and be very, um, pleasant to talk to, but that wasn 't the case around me and my my dad you know wouldn 't slam the table or anything whenever he was around other people um oh but he 'd so yeah,
0: so they were nicer outside of the family than inside the family yes, strangers matter so <laughs> much right I get it yeah, yeah
2: so but with my brother i can't i can't exactly Pinpoint that same degree of responsibility, Um, and uh, what you said around proving it kind of struck a chord in me because I I felt uh, growing up that you know I I, my ACE score is like two and I just felt I couldn't nobody could see what was happening. And part of why i am so i guess desperate to get through to him is just to have another witness, someone who's there, and could corroborate my story and um, that I think that's partly what I want, and I, you know I may never get that um but that that is a psychological motive that I'm aware of. That I couldn't really prove this, and so part of my struggle is, you know, trying to prove it to him. Um, I feel like I've proved it to myself, but maybe that, maybe that's not entirely true yet. I don't know. <clears throat> so that's about all I had to say.
0: All right. All right. So a couple of points. First of all, he's had seven years more exposure than you have to your parents. Yep. That matters, right? It does. It does. Right? It's like, uh, I only had 10 years of radiation poisoning. Somebody else had 17 years. Like, it's going to have an effect. Well, actually, And I'm sorry to – I don't mean to characterize your parents as radiation poisoning. I'm just using that as an analogy. But if there's dysfunctional emotional problems – That your parents have, then he had seven more years exposure and seven of those as a single child. And, you know, parents are often more neurotic or more crazy with the first kid than they are with the second. Uh, If they're going to be crazy, they're going to be more crazy with the first kid than with the second. So he took a real brunt seven years more, probably when it was um, escalated. Because, so so I just want to sort of point that out. It was actually. Uh, This is something that younger siblings often forget. I'm sorry?
2: He actually had 15 years uh, more living with my parents because I left um, home to go to boarding school when I was 14, and he didn't leave until after college.
0: Oh, right. So, uh, as far as um, exposure goes, that's – he got a – if dysfunction is dose-dependent, when I think it is, he got a much higher dose. Right, yeah. Yeah. So that's important to understand. But, uh, do
2: you say that point to just point out that he had more dose dosage, or do you think that their parenting was different? Well, I,
0: I, I assume it's both. Mm-hmm. Parenting changes when a second child comes along, and um, so there was probably some change in parenting for better or for worse, and he had a continual exposure for 15 years that you didn't, right? So it's going to have an effect. i just pointing that out, right? That It's important yes, to recognize and my that.
2: therapist has pointed that out too. She's told me that um, his experience was different than yours.
0: Yeah. I, mean, I don't want to get into what your therapist says because... <laughs> I don't want to compare and contrast sure, or whatever. Sure, sure. But but yeah, so okay. so that's, that's the first point, I think, to understand, Matt. Okay. The second is that if your brother's emotional state is not troubled by the fact that your father and your mother have stopped talking to you, I don't know what evidence you can bring to bear verbally that's going to be stronger than that.
2: You, you said that they stopped talking to me?
0: Well, you said that you had yes. stopped talking to your dad, but it was more accurate yes. to say that your dad had stopped talking to you?
2: Yes, and he actually didn't know about that until I, we had a conversation, but it did not really – didn't change anything. Um,
0: okay, so, so, so stop there for a sec, right? So stop there, right? Because we, we want to be empiricists, Right. How long was it between your father stopping, like hanging up on you, and you telling your brother about it?
2: Uh, It would have been at least eight months.
0: What? What? Eight months? You could have made a baby at that time. It'd come out slightly (laughs) preemie. Are you kidding me? Eight months?
2: Eight before, months. Before your I, brother did not I thought, know that
0: your parents had stopped talking to you.
2: Well, I didn't tell him. And no, they, no, no, no. I get
0: that you didn't tell him. I just yes. asked you that question. Yes. Here's where you need to give me. I've given you lots of room to talk. You need to give me short answers at this point just because I got to get this sorted out of my head. All right? Go for it. So your brother was still in contact with your parents during this eight-month period. So your brother and your parents are talking for eight fucking months. Nobody says anything about you being cut out of the family.
2: No, he knew that I was cut out of the... Uh, He knew that I wasn't talking to them, but he had a different story. In other words, he thought I just left on my own.
0: So he knew that you weren't in contact with your parents? Yes. But he didn't ask you about it. Because you told him. You had to tell him what was going on, right, for you? Yes.
2: Yes. Dude. Actually, it's actually, um, after this happened... Uh, a couple months after he got married, right, and uh, I was supposed to be in his wedding, and I said I wasn't. Confident.
0: No, no, don't, no, 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 don't drag oh, you're me. away. Right. I, I stopped no, talking. No, so you're trying to drag anymore. me away from the scene of the crime. <laughs> Look, there's a disco opening right around the corner. Don't chalk the body. Okay, let's go back. We'll get to the wedding. Let's go back. Your father hangs up on you. You don't talk to your father for eight months, you don't talk to your mother. Your brother's in contact with them. He knows that there's been this massive family altercation, right? Family separation is foundational. It's fundamental. It's biblical. It's huge, right? And it is a hell of a lot less accepted than divorce, right? But certainly for adult children to not see their parents is the equivalent of a multi-decade marriage breaking up, I don't know, in Amish country. I mean, I don't know, right? Because it's, so This is huge thing that happened in your family, monstrous, huge, the biggest thing since the birth of the kids that happened in the family. Your brother is in contact with your parents. He knows about this for eight months and he never brings it up with you, never asks you what happened, never asks you your side of things. You have to bring it up with him yeah and uh we no 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 you're not getting it because you're like yeah and no (laughs) if you get it if you get it there's like you know give me a full-on bill and ted's excellent adventure whoa right do you get just how crazy that is
2: i'm I'm sitting down now hang on do you i mean do you
0: you got to just physically relax you because you're going to want to rush off to some other narrative right yeah But this is key to understanding things. There are two brothers in the family, right? No other siblings? Yep, just us. Two brothers and two parents. One quarter of the family just fractured. And no, he doesn't mention it to you at all? No. Doesn't ask you about it at all. Doesn't offer to act as a mediator at all. Doesn't say, holy crap, dad says he's not talking to you. Look, what's going on? How can I help? What message can I carry? How can we get a sit down? Can we get into family therapy? What, what, what do I need to do to help you, to help this family, to figure this shit out? I mean, you were in conversation with your brother during those eight months, I assume.
2: Part of it, yeah.
0: Okay, part of it. You all chat about the Fed, you all chat about the weather, you all chat about, like, he doesn't bring it up. He may never have brought it up if you didn't bring it up, right? We don't know. But the longer these schisms occur, sorry, the longer they last, the worse they are. Right, If there's a fracture in your relationship, you have like 24 hours before the scar starts to really harden. You got, like, I, in my opinion, right, this is just, I don't have any science behind this. It's just been my experience. If you have a fundamental crack in your relationship, there is nothing more important than the next 24 hours because what happens is if people are like i don't want to see you i hate you whatever i don't know that's what happened with your dad i know that's not what happened with your dad but i don't want to like what happens is you have 24 hours before everybody's self-justification mechanism starts to kick in and they start to look back through time and they start to gather evidence for the case and they're no longer interested in solving the problem they're interested in justifying their innocence in the problem. And they start to tell the story. And they, and they put the story out about what happened where they're good and the other person is bad. And they start gathering information and they start gathering evidence and they start putting out a whole narrative. And then how the hell are you going to recover from all of that? right? So I don't know what, the, what your parents did. I'm just theorizing here. But if a man and a woman, oh, I hate you, I want a divorce, <laughs> slam the door and off they run, right? The next 24 hours is the whole thing. Is the whole thing. Because if she goes around and says, oh, he's such a bastard, he yells at me, he spends, peas in the sink, he, he spends all the money, he, you know, just has his man cave in the basement, he's just spending time with the kids, And I can't stand him, I I've, haven't, I've, haven't found him attractive for years. She goes out and starts to build the case about Husband bad, wife good. I a husband's probably out doing the same damn thing, right? And the friends might be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I never liked that guy. Oh, yeah, yeah I never liked that woman. I never thought she was right because, you know, they're, everybody thinks that support means agreement. Support usually means the exact opposite. But anyway, so people put this out and then they start thinking about, oh, yeah. He has been selfish. I remember this time. I remember that time. He didn't even buy me a birthday present. I remember that time. He forgot our anniversary. I remember that time. You know, and, and they suddenly, they're realigning reality. They're going back like 1984 style, rewriting history, and they're bringing in allies, and they're creating the narrative, and they're self-justifying. Now, you so there's an acceleration apart from each other that happens when there's this fundamental split in a relationship. And man, I mean, I don't know what, I don't know why people don't just freak out and try and fix it, like, right away. Like, you hang up the phone, you're like, oh, my God, that's so terrible. What the hell just happened? Oh, i got to call back. Or if I don't call back, i got to call my brother. Or i got to call my friends. I gotta, like, here's this thing that happened. I could have just said, oh, and my parents, I said, I don't even know if I want you in my life. They're like, fine, click. Ah, Right? It's a multi-decade relationship. What are we going to do? But instead, people just let this acceleration apart. Narrative, selective history, self-reinforcement, justification. You know, they've done studies where people say that they agree with a particular moral statement. They say, oh, I just want to check something. And they hand hand them back a different piece of paper with the exact opposite moral statement put on it. And people just immediately start justifying that. This is how insane our world is as far as any kind of reality and integrity go. So, eight months is a huge amount of time for this kind of schism to occur. Because every single minute of every single day that nobody's contacting each other to fix it. Now, I believe in this case, it's the parents' obligation and responsibility because they're the parents and they define the relationship and they set up the habits and all that kind of stuff. But the fact that your brother saw this fundamental schism in the relationship, that was going to lead to unbelievably complicated, as I'm sure we'll get to when we talk about your brother's marriage, unbelievably complicated future relationships, right? If you're not talking to your parents, you're still talking to your brother, Z-O-M-G, right? I mean, it's going to be a mess, right? Now, if I... (laughs) If I was his bride-to-be, and he told me, oh, yeah, Matt's not talking to our parents, or our parents aren't talking to Matt or whatever, right? I mean, I'd be like, why are you telling me this? Go talk to Matt. Go sort this out. Go fix this. I don't want to marry into this kind of complicated mess. I would not put up with somebody just leaving that lie fallow. How the hell is this going to work at the marriage? Are they just going to pretend that each other aren't there? How the hell is this going to work, say, for the next 50 fucking years? We're going to have to invite everyone over separately? Are there going to be separate Christmases? Are there going to be separate Thanksgivings? I don't know. Fix this damn thing. For me. For my sanity. Because I don't want to marry into a family that just lost a quarter of its members and no one's doing a goddamn thing about it. Now, the fact that the woman, your sister-in-law, didn't say or do any of that, at least to my knowledge, and we know, we're pre- pretty sure if she did, because your brother would be calling up and saying, hey, ma'am, my fiancé says we really got to talk about it. right? <laughs> oh, he yeah, tells, I would, know. I would know. tells me everything I need to know about her. And therefore, she chose to voluntarily marry into a family less than a year before they got married. There's a huge schism and nobody's doing anything about it. And she's like, yeah, let's keep going. There's nothing wrong with this. What could go wrong? This is fine. I'm fine with this. Ah! Couldn't go within a thousand leagues of these kinds of problems if I was going to i be like oh I don't care how big a dick you got it's not coming anywhere near this <laughs> so I'm not marrying into this dysfunctional mess where there's this giant schism in the family and nobody talks about it nobody solves it even though there's a marriage coming up even though there's other people coming into the family what would you think oh well Matt's out I'll just step in as the sister-in-law Boink! look we're back to four again God. So if your sister-in-law is that kind of person and your brother is that kind of person and your parents are those kinds of people, which is avoidance, 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 right? As yeah, your parents call back in after problems. you brought up issues with them, your parents call back in like nothing happened, right? Right. Avoidance reinforces avoidance. There are six billion studies out there which say that avoiding your fears makes your fears worse. Avoiding your fears makes your fears worse. Amygdala and overstimulation, where your amygdala sends up all this fight or flight stuff, you got to face down that storm. you got to face down that electrical storm that rises up with fear and anxiety when we're challenged in one form. You fe- you fe- this used to be common knowledge. Got a fear? Face the fear. <laughs> Scared of something? Face your fear. PTSD has been uh, well shown to respond very positively to progressive exposure. Afraid of spiders? Look at a picture of a spider. And then look at a real-life real spider behind glass. And then touch the spider. And then let a tiny spider on your head. Like, I don't know I'm not an expert, but this is as far as I understand. And that's how you deal with your shit. You face it down. You face that shit down. But if your family is like, oh, our son has a problem with us, click, right? We avoid, we avoid, we avoid. Well, then your parents, who are probably in their 50s or older, have 50 years of avoidance, which means that their capacity to handle negative emotional stimuli is paper thin, right? Uh, Yeah. You know, if I don't go to the gym for 30 years, I'm not picking up a Buick. And if your brother, who's, I don't know, 30 or so, whatever, 25, 28, doesn't matter, 30, he's got a couple of decades of avoiding negative stimuli, which means his, capa- his physical capacity to handle emotional stressors is paper thin. And so you're basically holding up a hissing two, in fact, Hooded hissing cobra snakes to somebody who's deadly afraid of snakes, saying, "The snakes are friends here. Catch a snake! Snakes, snakes are great. Wrap it around your neck. Deep, deep, deep kiss the snake. La, 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 la. It's wonderful. What are they going to do?"
2: And I felt that fear too when I was first, when I first brought it up with my parents.
0: It is a fear. Uh, that is a death fear. You, you may as well be a lion in an enclosed area. Turning on the overhead human sprinklers of ultimate marinade. Right? You are, by, by, by pushing self-knowledge on them, you're saying, got a tiger. Got a tiger. It's really hungry. And little tiny tiger elves have been sharpening its teeth and implanting diamonds just to make it extra special sharp. Really hungry. Here we go. To people who are terrified of tigers, right? It's overwhelming. They, they I, I hate to sort of put determinism into this, but if you relentlessly avoid self-knowledge for long enough, you basically just become a machine. Your self-knowledge is supposed to give you free will by giving you choice. I didn't used to like spiders. It used to freak me out. <laughs> I remember being, I was taking a picture once at a cliff edge, and there was a spider crawling on my hand. Pretty big one, actually. And I, like, I threw everything away, and I'm like, wait, camera! Cliff! Not a good combo. They're close in the alphabet, but far apart in terms of mutual functionality when meeting at high speed. So I caught the camera strap, and after that I was like, I better deal with this spider shit, because... It's really not very healthy, right? Now I'm pretty comfortable with spiders and so on. I don't want to get into all the details, but I didn't have, like I had a, a a spinal reaction and it was not under my control because I wouldn't have thrown a camera off a cliff to get rid of a tiny, pretty harmless spider, right? So if you avoid self-knowledge for long enough, you become a machine because all you are is... Avoiding discomfort. Avoid discomfort. Pursue pleasure. Avoid discomfort. Pursue pleasure. Avoid discomfort. That's not freedom. That's yeah. barely even having an identity. It's gotta be That's absurd. being the same machine. It's the same machinery that drives a fucking trilobite or, or any kind of bacteria. Pursue pleasure. Avoid discomfort. Pursue pleasure. Avoid discomfort. And the whole point of self-knowledge and, and, and willpower and, and therapy is to say, okay, I've got these fears. I don't want to just spend my whole goddamn life running from ghosts and running from fantasies and running from illusions and right, running from discomfort. I don't want to. I'm going to turn around, face that shit. There's six billion movies about this and about 12 million books and all of the fables on the known planet are around face your fears. Face your fears. And if you don't face your fears, then you're just this pinball, bing, 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 running around from fear to fear to fear to fear to fear. Yeah.
2: It feels really and, and good, too. When yeah, you
0: yeah, so if this is where, I'm sorry, I'll shut case. up in a sec, but if this is where your family is, and you understand, mm. I'm just theorizing here, I don't know because of your family, but the science is pretty clear, right? Political correctness is supposed to be avoiding discomfort for people. Your data makes me uncomfortable, right? And it's gotten so ridiculous, right? Because when you, when you avoid your fears, your fears grow, it's a fear subsidy to run away from your fears. Whatever you, When you avoid your fears, your fears grow. And now, political correctness and, and the sensitivity, you know, they've got these, these feminist gatherings where women are like, it kind of freaks me out. It makes me very anxious when people clap. So, I want everyone just to do jazz hands. <laughs> right? Look, dancing phalanges. <laughs> right? I mean... And so people can seriously look out at a sea of people doing jazz hands rather than clapping and saying, "Yeah, we're not crazy. <laughs> this seems perfectly fine." Some woman came to talk about uh, rape statistics, and they had to set up this this safe room. This safe room in case women got triggered. Safe room, you could run to this room, and they had cookies. And they had teddy bears, and they had big, giant, embracing bean bags, and they even had videos of frolicking puppies. Just in case some of the math made you upset. And, oh, God, the guy, I think he was head of Harvard, who, you know, he was... Off the record, just shooting the shit. And he's, people said, well, why do you think there's so few women in the, in the STEM fields, right? science, technology, uh, engineering, and math. And he said, I don't know. It could be any number of things. It's possible that there could be some biological reason, like maybe main, male, female brains are different. But nobody really knows for sure. And a couple of the women enacting the perfect stereotypical Rudyard Kipling cardboard cutout Victorian hysterics said, I had to run from the room. I thought he was either going to faint or throw up because he said something that I disagreed with or that was upsetting to me. Hmm. (laughs) I had to run from the room. This is somebody who's getting a storm of anxiety erupting from the amygdala. And they've never faced down their fears in any way, shape or form. So they can't say, oh, I'm scared. That's good information to have. I'm not going to have it make me turn into some fainting, bring me the smelling salts, blanche Dubois cliché, I'm going to deal with my feelings like a mature, responsible adult and not let them run me like some giant, ridiculous, hysterical marionette. And it's not going to change. It's, going to, it's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. Fear avoidance breeds fear avoidance breeds fear avoidance breeds fear avoidance. You know, there are some, uh, some people, uh, particularly women, who say, we should not te- ra- teach rape law. We should not teach the law around rape in law schools because it's, it's upsetting to women. Alan Dershowitz was sued for sexual harassment for teaching rape law because a woman said she felt assaulted by the data. And uh, he now videotapes everything. Professors live in terror Of This kind of hysterical overreaction like one guy was saying you never know if you're just going to say Something not intentionally. You you don't even think it's wrong. Someone takes it the wrong way next thing. You know, you've got women with mattresses following you all over campus. I Mean we've just become very Fragile (laughs) Because fragility is power in a statist environment, because fragility breeds white knighting in politicians and resources, and so we're basically f- funding and feeding all of this hysteria, and so we're getting more and more of it. But it's never going to stop. I mean, you have to, at some point, turn around and say, "Sticks and stones, right?" I have my bones. So, so I, I just, I, I'm sorry, I said a chop in a sec. I will shut up now. But you are, I would assume, your willingness to pursue self-knowledge, your willingness to, to explore your emotions, is for your family a death threat. And, and the very brief reason is because conformity was survival throughout almost all of our upbringing. Conformity was survival. The capacity to be non-conformist is so ridiculously new that there's n- I don't think there's been any possibility for any fundamental human apparatus to adapt to this insane reality that we can be non-conformist if you're a non-conformist in a tribe of 50 people or 100 people they just killed you or they killed your genes by not giving you eggs not letting you breed right so then conformity is essential and what you're asking people to do is do the opposite of that which enables them to survive in your family right because you needed the support and approval of your tribe in order to survive. They had to guide you while you slept. While you sleep. They had to um, help you fend off predators. They had to go and get food when you were unwell or when you had broken your leg. They had to bring you food. And, right? You needed other people and you needed their approval, their enthusiastic approval, in order to survive. And people who said, screw you to the tribe, the tribe said, screw you to their genetics. And those people dropped right out of the gene pool. The compromise, the, this is why ostracism is as powerful a motivator for humanity as torture. I'm not saying it's the same as torture, but biologically it activates the same parts of the brain as physical torture. Because we are a social species. We survive collectively, not individually. So if your family has, is the tribe of emotion avoidance, and you're like... Let's go for the emotions, right? It is a death threat at the deep biological level. Everything which is the opposite of conformity is perceived as a death threat, either individually or to the genes as a whole. And the genes don't care either way, right? So that, I think, is why you're hitting such resistance. And this is why mere evidence won't be enough. And now your brother has brought someone else into the clan, who is, let me guess, emotion avoidant. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Like begets like. Like attracts like. And so now he's like, well, shit, brother. (laughs) Maybe before I got married. But now if I follow you down this merry primrose path of emotional self-expression... You get to the laughing paradise of the gods. I go to family court.
2: Yeah. Well, if he has children, uh, then it just becomes even harder
0: to get out. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, no, absolutely. I mean, it's complete disaster, beyond a disaster. I mean, that's divorce in the modern West is about the worst thing that a man can experience.
2: Should I tell you about the wedding?
0: yeah, I'd like to hear about the wedding but but first, is this helpful? Is this
2: yeah, I mean I, I don't know if this is good or bad, but I can kind of empathize with my brother a little more now as to, in terms of his physiological reaction to it is
0: it's a physiological right down at the base of the brain and Without philosophy, without principles, everything is just a cost-benefit calculation. Everything is just a cost-benefit calculation. Um, And that's why I say that you're a machine. You're a machine of cost-benefits without philosophy. And uh, this is why people resist the spread of philosophy so much, because philosophy causes people to face their fears. It causes them to have something other than mere biological, emotional-driven cost-benefit analyses and to look at a larger perspective and a longer-term view. People like me and like you, perhaps as well, we look insane to people. Like, why the hell would anyone take on this kind of task? Where's the cost benefit? I don't get it. It's like because they don't understand that philosophy creates a vastly series, a vastly different series and perspective and longevity of cost benefit. And um, so, if they're just running on cost benefit, you have nothing to offer them a cost, and conformity has nothing to offer them a benefit. So it's pretty clear why they do that. Um, okay, but let's hear about the wedding.
2: Right, so uh, a couple, I, a month or two after my parents cut me off, um, my brother got married. And I was supposed to be in the wedding as one of one of two best men. And... uh I called him up and I said, you know, I know I said that I would be in the wedding, but I just really, I can't do it. I, I, I'm not in a position to, um, be around our parents. And he said, yeah, I kind of thought that that might be uh, an issue for you but again he didn't bring it up
4: um right it,
2: it was me that had to bring it up and so i i did not go to the wedding i have gotten to interact with his wife some and she there's a lot of similarities between my mom and her and uh she she will shut down the conversation uh when he tries for instance he's tried to talk to her about um, politics and from what i understand when she gets uncomfortable she just shuts down and goes into another room which is very similar to my mom and um so yeah it's not it's not too surprising that they ended up getting married. Um, <laughs> there wasn't much more to the story, sorry. Um,
0: but you missed your brother's wedding. That's sad.
2: It is. Um, yeah. I would have liked to have been there... But I, I don't know. Like, if I w- if I was the older brother, I I feel like I would have tried to talk more sense into him. Um, and I, I guess there's still a certain amount of guilt that I feel about. I mean, I, granted, I didn't have the kind of self knowledge I have now back then, but I feel a little guilty for not um, not trying to warn him about what he was walking into. Oh, you mean with his wife? Yeah. I told I I basically I don't know what I would have said either because when somebody asked me what I thought about her, I would have been like, "Uh, she's she's nice, you know. I I don't think I was able to be that honest." back then.
0: And the odds of him listening to you? Slim to none, in my opinion.
2: Well, that's, that's certainly... And you only get to, what what the the, you only get to pull those
0: dice once, right? You're no. marrying the wrong woman! <laughs> oh, you don't believe me? Oh, fuck.
2: <laughs> but the thing is, now it's even harder because... Well, that's what I mean. She's wrapped around, he's wrapped around her finger and... Um,
0: I assume that the men in your family, yourself perhaps excluded, are not blessed with an overabundance <laughs> of spine,
2: right? <laughs> no, that is certainly true.
0: Yeah, they're all, they're all white knighting and the women get upset and then the men rush to... White knights, they rush in to save the damsels in distress, thus making the women who have no power supposedly have all the power
2: yeah well there was a there was an episode where my mom wasn't happy that the family wasn't talking and so she hid the internet box um sorry who was this my mom
0: she hid the internet box
2: yes because we were on our laptops this was over a winter break and we weren't talking and she wasn't happy with it so she hid it I asked my dad what happened and he said uh, your mother is upset that we aren't talking
0: I always dislike <laughs> it when people, uh, this is just my particular thing man but I always dislike it when dads refer your mother X. right it's like how about your wife man <laughs> yeah because that's just such a plea to authority it's just such a plea to, well, it's your mother. So I'm going to hook into the word mother and get your compliance because of that. And, of course, if I refer to her, her as my wife, then I might actually have to do something about it.
2: Yeah. Maybe, maybe in a subtle way it's because he views her as his mother. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, All right, So the, la- the last thing I want to say is, in my opinion, in my opinion, it is not going to work with your brother in the way that you're trying to make it work. Right. How long have you been trying this for?
2: Um, Since last uh, December,
0: yeah. Oh, so like five months or so?
2: yeah there there was definitely a period where we weren't talking at all and then we i got back in touch with him partly because i i wanted to get well this is what i told myself is that i wanted to get information from him i wanted to you know see if there were any memories that he could help me with but when i asked him about our, his memories you know he didn't everything was foggy and he didn't remember anything before age six and uh, so but as i started talking to him, i i guess another uh, desire came out to really have to to, to see if i can make it work and you know uh, part of this might also be that if i can't make things work with my brother I sure as hell know I couldn't have made them work for my parents.
0: Um, You can't, man, you, you can't make it work with anybody. You can't make it work with anybody. You're like some communist czar looking at the economy and saying, I can make it work for everybody. You're talking about central planning in human relationships that you've got to make it work. You can't make it work for anybody. Hmm. It has to be mutual. Trade, whether in values, in love, in long-term body fluids, (laughs) in the economy, it has to be mutual. You can't make it work for anybody because that dehumanizes the other person and makes them a puppet in what is supposed to be a relationship.
2: No, no, that's that's right. And that's why I definitely didn't the last thing I wanted to do was to just gloss over this and ignore it. Uh, so I I was adamant about that, you know. I just No,
0: but this is so this this drive you have in my opinion is so early. And it comes from a desire to connect with your mother, which is of course the basic drive of all ridiculously inconvenient babies as we all are, we uh, we we need to connect with our mother and we need to connect in an emotional mother uh, to, in an emotional way to our mother and to know how important we are to know how bonded she is with us. We need like oxytocin dripping out of her eyeballs uh, in tears of joy uh, on contact with us. We, that is what gives babies security, and you had as all babies have a yearning for an emotional deep meaningful, oceanic connection with your mother. And I doubt very strongly that that happened. So you have a habit of reaching for family members, of trying to connect with family members, and this probably goes back as early as your earliest memories. And when we reach for something and we don't get it, but we still need it, we keep trying. Mm-hmm. we keep trying. We don't give up. We keep trying. Now, we may know deep down that we're never going to get it, but it is the trying that keeps us going. So we have to lie to ourselves. oh, I can get it. I can get it. I can just try this. I can just try that, right? Like uh, in Lord of the Rings, they're all sitting there at the bottom of it, trying to get into the mines of Moria, and there's this door that they can get into and and they're trying all these spells and hacking at it with hammers and stuff and you know then Gandalf comes open friend boom uh, you know off yeah they're in there just oh I gotta just get that phrase I gotta just get that last tumbler into place I know I've been working at these locks for a quarter century but just one more right one more try and when people have nothing to offer you they love to provoke in you the desire to get something from them because now they have something to offer you, which is the fantasy, they have something to offer you. They don't actually have to have something to offer you. So my concern is that you may be, it's all just an idea, no truth in this, just ideas. It may be, Matt, that you are Simon the Boxer, like in my free book, Real-Time Relationships, you can get it at slash free for those who haven't. Got this analogy of Simon the Boxer, it's a repetition compulsion, you may be locked into confirming that you're not going to get anything every single moment of every single day. Because managing not getting anything while striving to get something is the only control and connection that you had as a kid. My concern is that you're driven unconsciously to attempt to connect to something that isn't there because that's what you used to survive as a kid. And I think that you're avoiding that grieving by pretending that you can get it. Whether you can get it or not from your family, I don't know. But as sure as sunrise, no, you're not going to get it this way.
2: If this is true, and uh, and let's say I can't get it, is is therapy the fix for that? I mean, do I mean I think I've heard you say you kind of establish that unmet need with your therapist.
0: I'm not sure what your question is,
2: because you, you said, "Well, I'm reaching out um, to to get these unmet needs," um, but to to a certain extent, you know, with the the therapist is this authority figure similar to when you were a child, and so that can uh, reprogram in a way your this this Simon the boxer thing. I guess what?
0: Uh, w- no, it's it, to me. It's um, it, what's the? Solution? You know, when you when you once you have cheesecake, you can't eat sand anymore. Again, I I don't know why therapy works. I don't know anybody who does, but it does work really well. It does work really well. And for me, my relationship with my therapist was somebody really cared about me. Really cared about what I thought really cared about what I felt, really cared about what I dreamt about, was really focused and found me interesting. I was paying her. I get all of that. I get all of that. But we had a very deep and fascinating relationship. And once somebody had really taken an interest in me, really for the first time, now you could say, oh, well, people had used me before as utilities, like as a utility as as a status symbol as um for business value for whatever artistic value people that, but and, and yeah okay she was using me as a utility to get money I, I get that and i fully fully understand that but nonetheless she was really interested in me and she would think about me between sessions which you know I would do work between sessions I guess it would happen for her too and she'd say oh I was thinking about this thing you said three weeks ago and bloody blah blah, blah, blah that's interest
2: mm-hmm.
0: and once somebody has really been interested in what you think and feel which is such a radical experience you can't go back to the herd of just self-absorbed Non-people. And that to me was just, just having an actual, I cared what she thought, she cared, but I thought we explored some very powerful and very deep and very meaningful issues together. And when you have that and you're like, oh, this is what food is supposed to taste like. This is what it means to actually talk and listen to someone. This is what it means to be cared about. And there are times when her care for me expressed itself in very sharp disagreement and pushback. And once you have somebody who is genuinely devoted to your improvement, to your self-knowledge, to your depth, to your identity, to your growth. Once you've experienced that, I mean, I spend a lot of time trying to bring water down the hill. It's just the hole in the bucket is too big and the hill is too high. I couldn't do it. Maybe some people can, I couldn't. But I just found when I would go back to other relationships, I would just be like, bored just bored. It's so boring. So dull. I don't care that much about the sports team. I don't care that much about the flag. I don't care that much about the weather. I don't care that much about this political thing or that political thing. Or I could just, I care if there's principles we can explore. Fantastic. It doesn't have to be 24 seven, but this relentless drip, drip, drip of nothing trivia and unimportance and avoidance. And it's just, I didn't know how bored I was until I wasn't bored for three hours a week. And I just couldn't go back to that. I I couldn't. I tried to bring deeper conversations, and to a small degree, and in certain areas it would work, and then there'd be this backlash, and people, right? They'd hit on something that was difficult, and because they're pain-avoidant, pleasure-pursuing machines... They enjoyed it as long as it was not challenging, and then when it became challenging, ah, Boing, off they go, right? And it was disappointing. So I don't know why therapy works. I mean, there's the enlightened witness theory, uh, there's the coaching hypothesis, there's I mean stuff I've talked about in shows before. But I think it's just it's not boring. And once you've not been bored in a meaningful relationship, once you've been really engaged and you've really recognized the degree to which human connection is possible, well, it just raises your standards, or it lets you have standards other than accidental biology. And when you have those standards, which are involuntary, involuntary, I don't know you you can't you can't sustain yourself on air once you know what real food is like and also with connection and I think this is why a lot of people avoid connection with connection the reason that that connection is so important is connection is so deeply associated with mortality. People have this weird belief I don't know where it comes from this weird belief Matt that if I turn myself into a ghost, I won't die. Deep connection has something to do, and I don't know exactly how it does, but deep connection has something to do with mortality. And the reason I think it's to do with that is that people who are avoiding stuff and avoiding stuff and just being these pain-avoidance machines, discomfort avoiding machines, anxiety avoidant machines, they know deep down that... They have to fix things. Your parents know deep down. This is not how a family should be operating. This is not how things should be. They know that. But there's a weird kind of immortality that people have, a weird kind of no-timedness, an outside-the-bounds and rules and demands of time. Mortality has its demands, which is fix shit now because you could be dead tomorrow, and you sure as hell pile enough tomorrows, and you will be dead. So fix stuff now. Connect now. People who don't connect, who let their mistakes accumulate, who let their avoidance accumulate, who let their relationships decay and fall apart, there's this weird kind of immortality to it. Oh, you know, I can have as many relationships as I want. Oh, I've got an infinity of tomorrows to solve my problems or to fix things. Oh, maybe I'll circle back in a year or two and see how things are. Fuck. (laughs) Fuck. No, 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 No. we do not have forever to connect, we do not have forever to reverse these disasters, we do not have forever to really get to know the people who are around us, and we do not have an infinity of tomorrows to undo all the mistakes of yesterday, time marches on, shorter of breath, one day closer to death, every single step. Down the road, the coffin comes, the coffin opens, the coffin yawns, the coffin is hungry. And the coffin eats you whether you are alive or have been dead your whole life, whether you turn into a ghost or have been a ghost. And the panic of mortality is what this kind of dissociation, this kind of avoidance is designed to distract you from. Mortality brings with it a desperate and incredibly healthy kind of panic. An incredibly healthy kind of panic. To connect, to learn, to... to eat deep the flesh of life. To drink deep the wine of life. To experience, to nuzzle this great beast of existence. And to retire from the sport of life spent, bruised, bloody, glowing with exercise and satisfied with how you spent your strength. To be a predator rather than an endlessly fleeing prey is the essence of life. By predator, I don't mean attacking people. I just mean seizing and chasing Achieving, winning, helping the planet, though the planet desperately does not want to be helped in the moment. And I never really thought that much about death until I was in therapy and I realized every day that I spend being empty, every day I spend being bored, every day I spend making jokes with people rather than connecting with who they really are and letting them connect with who I really am. Well, that's just taken off the pile. That day's just taken off the pile. I got a fixed number of days. That's just taken off the pile, thrown away, set fire to, burnt, vanishes, never to return. And when you really do get a sense that time runs out, it gives you this great deal of panic, this great deal of invigorating terror that we all so desperately need. This invigorating terror, which says, Fuck, I'm gonna die? Is this how I want to be spending my short life? I am going to die. Is this how I want to be spending my tiny slice? of existence in between the vast chasms of nothingness that I came from and that I'm going to in this incredible laser-pointed sunlit disco ball sliver of life that the universe has miraculously bestowed upon this tiny aggregation of starshit in this glorious capacity and receptacle of life and not just life like a bacteria in the armpit of a whale, but life as a human being with reason, with depth, with dreams, with thought, with creativity, with all the star shining matter that we can bring to bear on the inert things of this world. A human being is a great way of turning an ear of corn into a poem. I have been granted this unbelievable opportunity do I want to spend my life, my brief flash of near infinite possibility? Do I want to spend my life arguing about some political idea? Do I want to spend my life watching? A merely okay, dumbed down for the masses kind of movie? Do I want to spend my life sitting and staring at people I don't have anything in common with, I don't have any connection with, who are not going to join me in some great march of virtue and terror and possibility and achievement and disaster? Do I want to spend my life too bored to get up and go to bed, watching late night infomercials, slowly inhaling the floating orange dust of Cheetos up my nose. And we all have moments like that. Lord knows I've argued some political ideas and they've been fine. I don't like, it's not like it all, I don't wake up, ah, let me seize the day. You know, sometimes you've uh, just got to take a dump. that's fine, (laughs) but take a deep dump. But connection, we drive for connection because we fear death. And when people skate through life merely avoiding discomfort, it's because, really, they must think they're going to live forever or that their choices don't matter, their connections don't matter, their closeness doesn't matter. Your dad, and it breaks my heart to even think this, Matt, but your dad clicked down on the phone because fundamentally... He didn't think he was worth being missed. He didn't think that he provided enough to you that you would even miss him. And what a terrifying thought that is, that somebody can live for 50 years on a planet, give birth to two children, be married to a woman, and not feel that they could be missed. So I think that the intimacy generated by any close, deep, meaningful, repetitive conversations, whether therapy or somewhere else, the deep conversations generated by therapy remind us that we're going to die and it matters how we live. It doesn't matter how we live because there's some judgment in the afterlife. It matters how we live because we're going to die. And deep conversations remind us of the proximity of death. Death is always proximate. It's like a crow on your shoulder. You just don't know when it's going to peck. Could happen to me before the end of this show. Might have an aneurysm. Don't know. Giant meteor could strike (laughs) the house. Great conversations remind us of mortality, and mortality reminds us of the need for great conversations. I think that's why it works.
2: I don't know what to say.
1: Do
0: you want to just mull it over for a bit?
2: <laughs> well, yeah. I know, I know. I I think this helps. I think this helps.
0: You can't spend your life chasing after people who hang up on you if you have a problem with them. I I don't think. I mean, I think what an incredible waste of life that would be. You're like somebody desperately swimming after a ghost ship in an ocean that never ends.
2: Yeah, I want to make the most of my life, and I I think it's true. It's not only theists who feel that they're going to live forever.
0: Well, but theists at least will talk about things of depth that import. They'll talk about virtue, they'll talk about integrity, they'll talk about commitment, they'll talk about courage, moral courage. And uh, that is um, in the semi-secular relativistic haze that we currently have lost our entire essence of humanity in. I mean, we don't even believe in good and evil anymore. the hell happened to us as a species? <laughs> it's like a lion not believing in gazelle or hunger. Right. Anyway, i got to move on to the next call, man, uh, but I appreciate it. Uh, do let us know how it goes. And, uh, you know, as always, my advice is, you know, stick close to your therapist and listen to what she says.
2: Great, great. And um, do you mind if I give up? A- Plug for um, the book that I'm writing. Well, I'm actually going to be speaking at uh, Porkfest so people can come and check me out there. Um, But please do. The book is on how design thinking can uh, help bring down the state.
0: Excellent. All right. Do say hi to them at Porkfest for me and uh, have a great time when you give your speech there.
2: I will. Thanks so much.
0: All right. Take care.
1: Thank you, Matt. All right. Well, up next is Brian. Brian wrote in and said, During the May 16th call show titled Judgment as Violence, you proposed several criticisms of the late Marshall Rosenberg's guidelines for achieving what he labeled nonviolent communication. I found these to be quite troubling. I believe that there are several logical errors in your explanation that concern me, but ignoring them, I have two main questions. What... Why is it that all communication must be seen as nonviolent? How can verbal abuse be
3: nonviolent? That's from Brian. Hello, Brian. Hi. How's it going? Well, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. I Appreciate it, and I appreciate you're very you. welcome. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, thanks to uh, Michael as well for you know giving me the opportunity. Um, oh, I'm very yeah. welcome. Thank. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, uh, the question, just you know, talking about nonviolent communication, which I know you love talking about nonviolent communication, right? <laughs> Can't wait to talk about that. But, um, yeah, so, anyway. Like like the question asked is that, because I remember from the show before you said, uh, why is it, what, what I'm asking is, why is it that uh, all communication must be seen as nonviolent? I didn't really understand that when you said that.
0: I, I have no idea what quote you're referring to. I, I don't have a... An... Before we get there. Sure. I'm sorry, I can't seem to find a mic if you just post that. Oh, no, I have it actually down here. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, this, this annoyed me. <laughs> um, it doesn't mean you're annoying. I'm just saying I I was annoyed by by even the question. And uh, I'll tell you what my thoughts are and tell me uh, how it strikes you. Okay. Um. So you, you found my criticisms to be troubling.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I, don't, I, I
3: mean, this is a philosophy show, right? Don't, don't, worry, I about mean, that. don't worry about that. Like, no, no, this is, what, this is what you wrote, right? Well, and, I mean, I did, but like, it's not like a criticism. It's not like, oh, because it's troubling to me, therefore you're wrong or something like that. You know.
0: <laughs> okay. So let's let that one go if you don't want to talk about it. And then you say, I believe there are several logical errors in your explanation right. that concern me. And then you said, but ignoring them, I have two main questions.
3: Right, because the structure of how I was asked to use, like, in, I think it was, Mike said that, Michael, sorry, said that I had to, like, use two sentences or less.
1: Try and break it down to a couple sentences.
3: for Right, yeah. so I kind of wanted to not, like, just throw out all my criticisms, like, in this giant expose, you know what I mean?
0: Well, um, do you want to talk about the logical errors? Because... Yeah as a philosopher I don't want to be making those logical errors and so if you have logical errors that I have made um that I don't want to ignore them if that makes sense
3: Right right so you said that um do you remember the the actual show though just want to make sure you're familiar with Oh, that. I remember the call yeah
0: okay. I I don't obviously remember every argument I made right, right. a couple of weeks ago or a <laughs> yeah, month I ago or whatever so but uh, I remember the call very well
3: Um but you said like I think most of your critique of nonviolent communication kind of revolved around its title, nonviolent communication. And you're like, I I believe you said something to the effect of like, um, if it's nonviolent communication, that means all other forms of communication are violent or something like that. Do you remember?
0: Well, I I think it's uh, not the most helpful to say my form of communication is nonviolent communication because there's this implicit thing which says, okay, well, if you're not following my form, it must be violent communication. And I think that's not great, but that wasn't my fundamental uh, issue. Um, uh, My fundamental issue revolved around uh, the question of judgment uh, in in that uh, Rosenberg, from what I've heard, uh, says that uh, that, the judgment is violence.
3: Uh, That's not exactly what I would say, what he's trying to say, but, um, Going back to that, like, what you just said, the, the implication there, it's I would call that uh, the logical fallacy of denying the antecedent. Um, that's the, t- the title, and I don't expect you to know exactly what that means because, it's, yeah, I wouldn't either. Um, I had to look it up. But anyway, so it's it's like if I said, the, the analogy I'll give is like, if I said this mouse that I'm holding, this computer mouse, is non-cake, for example, you know. I'm sorry, sorry, say that again. Like a, commu- a computer mouse, it's just an object, you know. I, said, I said, This is non-cake, right? That doesn't mean, you know, this keyboard is cake because it's not a mouse. So, right, it, it, the structure is, you know, um, if P, then Q, not... No, 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 but the cake is a specific thing.
0: Violence is a general category. Okay, that's... Fine. Um, no, that, that matters, though, because a piece of cake is something very specific, whereas violence is not a physical object, but a definition. So, saying that uh, I mean, oh, if you're going to compare, I'm sorry, you go ahead if you don't want me to finish my thought. Well, go ahead.
3: No, because computer mouse is a definition. A what? There's a de- uh, computer mouse has a definition that's like a word with a defin- Yes, but it's a concrete thing, it's not an abstract definition. Okay. I, d- I don't know what. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> well, if I create, a, if I create a, a definition called violence and then I create something which is non-violence, then I've got a general definition and I've got a specific exception, right?
3: Um, sorry, can you say that one more time? I just want to make sure I'm understanding.
0: Okay. So if I create a definition of something and say, this is violence, it's not a physical object I'm referring to. It is a definition, like a right. concept. It's a concept, right? Right. But it's a concept that does not refer to a physical thing.
3: Mm. Like a computer mouse is a physical thing. Right. So something. So a physical thing is violence, though. Yeah. So like it's a it's a category, like you were saying. Yeah. Okay. It's a category, right? right? So if I say there is
0: this thing called violence, and then there is something which is nonviolence right then clearly everything which does not conform to nonviolence is violence by definition right uh correct okay so that's my point and that's not a logical error uh, it, it is um i don't think no you... you
3: just agreed with me now we can go back if you want All but right.
0: you just agreed with me
3: i agreed with what you just said <laughs> okay um However, I don't think saying that... I don't think Marshall Rosenberg ever said that anything that's not adhering to his strict guidelines of what's called nonviolent communication is violent. So if you're... But it doesn't doesn't matter to me what he said.
0: It doesn't matter to me what he said. Because I don't refer to the person's words. I refer to the principles. Right? To take an extreme example, uh, if Hitler said once, I'm all for peace, what the hell would that matter, right? So... Okay. But the point is, is that if you define communication, uh, violent communication, as the norm, and then you say, well, mine is non-violent communication, then clearly everything which doesn't follow your principles must be part of violent communication.
3: I yeah, see, I don't think he did say that. I don't think he defined, like, the norm as being violent. I don't know what... I, no, which would have been... It would have been great if he did, but he's not a philosopher.
0: But he called his non-violent parenting... Uh, sorry, non-violent communication. communication right. And... And the reason that, sorry, the parenting thing just pops into my head because I've been called, like I I call mine approach peaceful parenting or philosophical parenting. But I think I can because it is parenting which embraces the non-aggression principle. And every form of parenting which rejects the non-aggression principle must found itself upon the initiation or involve the initiation of force, therefore cannot be peaceful. So I'm perfectly happy if people say, well, yeah, Steph. But what about peaceful parenting? You say peaceful parenting. Does that mean all other forms of
3: parenting are non peaceful? It's like, well, yeah. Okay, you <laughs> say aggressive. Yes, I, I don't. You don't have to say yes. That's where I'm getting at. I'm sorry. Uh, you don't have to say yes to that. You, like you don't. You don't. Yes to what? What the question you said? If I say that my way of parenting is peaceful parenting, does that mean all other forms of parenting are non peaceful? I mean, technically, yeah, I, okay, do that, like I do say that. But I care. do say that because I'm a philosopher and I care about definitions. Because, and if I'm going to okay. call
0: my parenting peaceful parenting, then of course everything which doesn't follow that is not peaceful
3: parenting. Okay, so if I talk to you like I am right now, this is nonviolent communication, right? The way I'm talking to you right now, right?
0: I'm not sure what you mean by. I, I, I wouldn't. Are, I don't our, have to our characterize our, it in any way. Has the
3: conversation been violent or nonviolent or neither? Or like. It's not. It not, depends. Do you, do you
0: count passive aggression as violence? I don't know.
3: <laughs> I'm asking you. <laughs> no,
0: that's what I'm asking you. Do you just, <laughs> in, in non-violent communication is passive aggression considered
3: to be a violent? You think I'm being passive aggressive? I do. In really, I'm not
0: saying you are. I'm just saying I'm I think you are trying to be.
3: I mean, <laughs> no. I'm just. I'm just trying to show. This is what I'm trying to show you. Okay. Let me just be really blunt about it. It's like. Nonviolent, saying some, some form of communication, like, nonviolent communication is a set of principles, okay, of how you communicate, of, of how he, he would suggest for you to communicate. That's not to say that if you don't adhere to his exact principles perfectly, then obviously you're being violent. No, because there's all kinds of communication that are nonviolent. It's, he just called these specific ways of doing it are, is a way to ensure that you're being nonviolent.
0: So he's saying that there's lots of communication that's nonviolent that has nothing to do with nonviolent communication. Correct. Because he so nonviolent communication merely means a small subset of nonviolent communication. Correct.
3: It's not very clear. It, he is clear in his book. <laughs> he, he wrote exactly what violent communication is. Um. Uh, violent- so he, he breaks it down, but he says uh, there are three components of violent communication. Okay, go ahead. Which are moral judgments. And it's not the judgment that's violent. It's the communication of the judgment that's violent. Um, because it triggers defense mechanisms in the person that you're talking to, where they're concerned with defending their image of themselves. When you morally judge them, they're concerned with trying to say, well, I'm not bad. I'm not immoral. You know what I'm saying?
0: And so, so he's saying that you can have moral judgments, you just shouldn't communicate them in the way that's upsetting to immoral people?
3: You shouldn't communicate You shouldn't communicate them to people when you're trying to ascertain needs. When you're trying to resolve conflict.
0: No, but no, no, no. Sorry. Again, I, I've not read the man's books, but moral judgment is not around the ascertaining of needs. Uh immoral judgment is saying that somebody's uh, behavior is acting in opposition to an ethical standard. I'm not sure how that is ascertaining. So, like if I say uh, this rapist is a bad guy, I'm not sure how I'm trying to ascertain needs. Or if I say rape is immoral or this rapist is immoral, I'm, is, is that, would that not be in conformity with nonviolent communication?
3: It's not a way in which you're going to resolve the conflict between you and the rapist. It's going I don't to want be to a death. Con-
0: I'm not sure. Sorry, like, again, I'm not, if you don't, I'm not sure
3: why I would want to resolve a conflict
0: between myself and a.
3: Okay, then you have no use for nonviolent communication. Nonviolent communication is a strategy for resolving conflicts and uh, meeting needs of both parties within that interaction. That's the point of it.
0: So, if you. So, then it's not moral judgment that's the problem. Because moral judgment is fine if you don't wish to negotiate.
3: Moral judgment is always fine. It's communicating those moral judgments to other people, you know. What's the point of having a—I mean, that's like a First Amendment thing, right? I mean, it's a freedom of speech. What's the
0: point of having a moral judgment if you just keep it to yourself? That doesn't really make much sense. It's like you have the right to write music. You have the right to think up music, but you can't ever write-down or sing it. It's like, well, then I don't really have the right— So if I put out a moral judgment, and so I say the initiation of force is immoral. That's sort of a moral judgment. Right that's in accordance with nonviolent communication because I'm not trying to negotiate with a specific individual and get both of her needs met.
3: It's so it's more of like um, a normative judgment. So it's it's a little bit, I I would say it's a little bit different um, because like I would say, well, you're wrong because you're not adhering to this um, principle. That's not in accordance with nonviolent communication.
0: Wait, so if I say you're wrong because you're illogical or you're incorrect because you're illogical, that is not – or your argument is illogical, not you. But so if you put forward no. a proposition that says two and two make five and I say that's incorrect because two and two make four, is that in accordance with nonviolent communication?
3: I, yeah, It's. I would say that – I would say that um, – hmm. it's hard to tell because uh, there's not really con- context to it, but it's not really uh, – working towards, you know, resolving conflict, I would say. is not because in, in the resolving conflict, you're more trying to focus on the needs of people based on the feelings that they're sharing with you.
0: Yeah. So I, I think I understand insofar as if I say to you, um, you're making me angry because you're being a jerk or something, right? I mean, right. I'm not saying that. But if I was saying something like that, that would be a form of aggression and and it would be a fundamentally false statement um and and that would not be conducive to us well it might not, out our I, I could be a right?
3: jerk right and you could be angry because of
0: it so then what would i say in the nvc world if that was occurring
3: it, it kind of depends on the context again like why was i being a jerk it's it's more like um like what am i needing you it, it like it really depends on the context
0: okay, so i don't know so basically i don't know any of the princi- i don't know any principles that could be extracted here, and so i'm not really sure what place this would have in a philosophy show because we're all about sort of principles
3: well the the principle is again you know don't make don't uh communicate moral judgments that's the, the principle within
0: no no, we just went through this whole principle and it turned out that it's fine to communicate moral judgments when did we i'm sorry i mean we just we just went through this conversation where I said. Oh, okay. So if I say rapist is immoral, is that bad? And you're like, well, not if you want to negotiate the res- resolution of conflict with the rapist. is like
3: no, it is bad if you're trying to negotiate. Uh, right. So it's not moral judgment and communicating moral judgment. That's a problem, right? I, yeah, we just said yes. It is when if you're trying to negotiate with a rapist, then communicating the moral judgment is bad. Yes, the answer is yes.
0: Okay. Are you allowed to think the moral judgment? Of course. Okay, so you can think the moral judgment, you just can't be honest about it.
3: I didn't realize not communicating was being dishonest.
0: Well, if I'm standing in front of a rapist, and I think he's a scumbag, or I think he's evil, but I'm not supposed to say what I'm actually thinking. That's a form of self censorship, and I don't know how falsifying my thoughts and experiences with somebody else can help, ever help get to a productive resolution. I you don't mean, know how self-censorship
3: lie. can ever get to a productive resolution?
0: No, I, d- I don't see how withholding what is primary in my thoughts and, and feelings uh, can do anything other than falsify my experience to the other person. <sighs> uh,
3: <laughs> I, I I guess I don't really know what to say to that, to be honest with you, because you know, if I feel like Right now, like you're a scumbag, Stefan. I don't think that we're ever going to come to a mutual agreement on anything if I approach you with in those terms, right? Like you're definitely not. You're probably going to end the call immediately. <laughs> It'd be like, okay, well, we don't have time to talk to you now because you're calling me a scumbag and you're being disrespectful, and you're, and so then this conversation ends.
0: However, well, no, I mean, if if you if you came up to me and you said, you know, Steph, you're a scumbag. Um. I would ask you for some philosophical content if you wanted to continue the conversation, right? Because scumbag has no philosophical content, right? You might as well call me a a, a bart first or something like that. I mean, there's no philosophical content, which is what I'm sort of trying to understand. Like why we're, we're having the call is I'm trying to extract some philosophical content. I'm open to that there is some. Uh, I'm trying to extract some principled content. So if somebody says, oh, Steph, you're a scumbag, I'd say, well, okay, so well, what, on what grounds would you make this accusation? But if they've just, well, you know, you're a bad guy, you're a scumbag, you're a meanie pop and your nose smells like elderberries, I'd be like, okay, well, you're just making sounds. There's not actually anything <laughs> real in what you're it saying. So I don't really know, you know, I, you know, you're obviously upset about something. And if you want to talk about your your thoughts and feelings, I think that's fine. But if you want to hide your thoughts and feelings behind jumping to conclusions, uh, then there's not a conversation to be had because I'm not actually part of the conversation. Right. I'm just what Lloyd DeMoss would call a poison container, and you're just venting uh, against my image uh, because you don't. You're avoiding some negative emotion within yourself.
3: And that's why Marshall Rosenberg wanted you to avoid those kind of moral judgments and and adhere more to the feelings and needs parts. Like he didn't want. No, no, you know, no, S-
0: scumbag. Sorry to interrupt. Scumbag is not a moral judgment because there's no ethical principle involved. It's just a term of verbal
3: abuse, right? I mean. It's a judgment, and it's it could have moral grounds, but yeah, I guess no, it, could have, it, could, it could. Look, not no, happen, saying saying it's well. a judgment
0: is like saying that a monkey flinging poo is a modern artist, right? I mean, it's just a <laughs> reflex. I mean, it's just, it's not a judgment. Like somebody's evaluating something and, and really judging something. They're just blarping. They're just emotionally dumping. Right? It's no judgment involved.
3: Uh, it's a normal I would call it a normative judgment, but or a normative statement at least. I, we can drop that and just call them normative statements. It's, like, it's a value judgment. You're devaluing the person because they're a scumbag. I mean,
0: the, when you call No, but see, if, I, if I say someone's an asshole, there's no moral content to that. Because I could say that cop is an asshole for interrupting my theft, in which case he's a good guy, right? Or I could <laughs> say that that guy is an asshole for stealing from my store, in which case he's a bad guy. So the term asshole or scumbag can be used for uh, good people and bad people, right? Which is why they're not philosophical terms. Just, all it means is that person is, uh, I'm angry at that person. But there's no moral content in anger. Somebody who's who's caught stealing from a bank is really angry at whoever caught them, right? But it's no moral content. They're stealing from a bank. Well, and the whole point of a wrong. bank is designed
3: to steal from the people. Sorry? They made a moral judgment, but that moral judgment was wrong. Like, you can have wrong moral judgments, like incorrect ones, Right.
0: Well not according to my philosophy or the, the approach that I take to philosophy that's like but saying there are only correct you can have you can I'm sorry go
3: ahead there are only correct moral judgments is that what you mean is that what you No it's
0: just that if it's if it's wrong since morality is universally preferable behavior you can't have an incorrect moral uh, judgment uh, any more than you can have an incorrect scientific theory. I mean, if the theory is scientifically validated, <laughs> in other words, if it's passed into the annals of science, it can't be incorrect. You can have an incorrect hypothesis or a hypothesis that is later proven to be incorrect. But if you have a judgment that is in the realm of morality, it means it conforms to the standards of moral judgments. Scumbag and asshole do not fall into those categories. They're just terms of abuse that people hurl at others hoping to cow them into
3: submission or browbeat or bully them into conformity. So like the definition of moral in itself implies... You know, some that it's correct, like because so like you could have an immoral judgment, right? So, so what I was calling an incorrect moral judgment, what could also just be called an immoral judgment, right?
0: Is that correct? well? But again, scumbag and and uh, like if if <laughs> um, if a you no, know, this is useful, it's very helpful stuff. I think if if a guy um, is interrupted in his theft and he says, "Oh, that cop's a real asshole," right? Right. That's not immoral. He wouldn't say, and the cop is immoral. He'd just say, basically, asshole means he interfered with my self-interest in the theft. I wanted to steal some stuff, and he stopped me, and he's an asshole, because I wanted to steal some stuff. It's, he, he wouldn't say that that's a moral
3: term. Right. Well, yeah. You wouldn't say that he was like, I'm morally correct. I don't know. I just don't use terms exactly the same way you do. And maybe I just don't understand the terms. And so.
0: Well, a moral judgment usually is. Something to do with good and evil, right? I don't think that the theft would say that cop was evil for interrupting my theft. That's not what the thief would say, right?
3: Um. I'm not sure what the...
0: Th- I'm, <laughs> I'm really not sure. He'd say, I hate that cop. That cop's a complete asshole. I almost got away. Total total jerk, scumbag, whatever. I hate that guy, right? You're it's right, not right. a moral judgment. It's just he interfered with my self-interest. Um, well, if you and... hate a
3: murderer, is that moral or is that... like I, I don't really know if we're really drawing a distinction. A no, distinction. but hate is
0: not a moral judgment.
3: What kind of a judgment would you say? Just a normative statement, I guess, or...
0: Well, I don't know, but I mean, monkeys hate things. They don't have a lot of moral judgments,
3: right? Okay,
0: right. I mean, it's not—it's not a moral. It's—it's—it's it's, it's just a hatred is a feeling uh, that is engendered usually by uh, this person is acting significantly acting against my self-interest. Mm-hmm. So the cop who interferes with the guy who wants to steal is significantly impacting his self-interest, right? When, the, when people who say to someone. Uh, hey, you might be in an abusive relationship, you should get some therapy, and remember, you don't have to stay in abusive relationships, are strongly interfering with the interests of the abusive person who wants to continue to exploit his or her victim. And so people who support victims of abusive relationships and maybe give them the mental jarring to start thinking more clearly and maybe with them ending up leaving the relationship, well, they're hated by the people who are the abusers. Right. But that's just because into the abuse, the person who's supporting the abuse victim is interfering with the self-interest of the abuser, so they get hated for it. It's nothing to do with a moral judgment. They may frame it as a moral judgment. They may say, um, you know, like Erin uh, Pitsey on this show was talking about when she opened the first women's shelter, she'd taken in all these women who'd be beaten black and blue by their husbands. And the husbands would come and demand that they get the women back and the priests and the rabbis and all would come over and say, it's in the light of God, you're betraying right, you're betraying your vow to God and right. And so they may try and frame it as a moral argument.
3: But I mean That's what I think what not, Marshall Rosenberg was against, is like people trying to frame these like kind of uh really trigger-happy, like, judgments that people have as, like, you know, well, it's a moral judgment and I'm right for feeling this way and whatever. And instead, he wanted people to look at the other person using more uh, observational language rather than, you know, these normative kind of claims or these, like, subjective uh, perspective kind of ideas. Do you you understand the difference? At least the difference that I'm trying to draw in maybe the terms. Maybe we're going to get hung up on, like, saying morality or saying immoral judgments or correct moral judgments versus incorrect immoral. Like the, the point is that you're supposed to use observational language. Like I, it's not that the cop is bad and I hate him. It's, I was trying to steal the cop. What he did was he put handcuffs on my arms. Okay. The, these are observations of reality, things that happened. And this is what Marshall Rosenberg tried to get people to, to do in their communication and kind of just, you know, put the moral stuff in, in like the subjective opinions and preferences. I wouldn't call moral judgment a preference, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, saying, I'm including that in this category of things that shouldn't be communicated or shouldn't be if you're dr- going to adhere to the, to the strategy that he's providing.
0: Yeah, and I, I think I, I think that we're probably in somewhat of uh, agreement which is that I just want people to tell the truth, just just tell the truth and don't jump to conclusions and don't inject highly volatile statements into things that uh, are, are not present, right? So if he says, look, just empirically describe what happened, just the facts, like the Joe Friday, just the facts, ma'am, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, don't, don't give me your interpretation, don't give me a story, don't give me your whatever, but just tell me what actually physically happened uh, and, and so on. And people, of course, they do love to pump themselves up with all of this moral language or self-justifying language or whatever, right? I mean, and, and we all have that habit. I'm going to say, like, exclude myself from the mass of human beings. I fundamentally think we, we developed language in order to be better liars. And only accidentally later did philosophers try and use it to get people to tell the truth. But, um, yeah, I think, I think that's all valid. Yeah, the guy, he, guy in a blue costume uh, stopped me. Uh, put a gun, uh, pulled out a gun and said, stop, you know, drop what you've got. And I dropped all the silverware and you put me in a car. And yeah, those are all, uh, those are all statements uh, of of fact and you're not lying about those things. And if you say, you know, he's an asshole, he's this and that and the other's like, well, that's not, he has an asshole. He's not an asshole, right? I mean, uh, so uh, I I think just telling the truth seems to me better that way.
3: but, But even correct judgment. So uh, yes, that's all exactly. So you are in agreement with me and Rosenberg and whatever on that stuff. Um, but I think maybe one distinction that you don't agree with, and I would like to you know, hear why and kind of talk about it a little bit if that's okay, is um, even uh, elements of judgments that are correct or are moral. So, you know, a guy robs me, for instance, and I would say he's an asshole. He came into my house, busted down the door. Those are observations. Which is fine. He... Well, no, the asshole... Yeah, right. That was not... uh, He busted down the door is what I was referring to. Sorry. (laughs) It wasn't... Okay. But uh, he busted down the door. He... Said all kinds of hurtful, mean things to me. And... Then he... Threatened to shoot my wife. And... I hate him. Whatever. Okay, so... There was like one thing in there that was an actual observation. Which was he busted down the door. And maybe like pointed guns, or I don't, I don't remember exactly. No,
0: threatened to shoot my wife is probably factual. I, I don't think uh, threatened to say hurtful and mean things to me, somewhat subjective. Although there are things that can be hurtful and mean fairly objectively, uh, and uh, so I think there was quite a lot of, of facts in there.
3: There, yeah. So when I said threatened my to shoot my wife, if he says I'm going to shoot your wife, that's the observation. But threatened to, I mean, that could have just been pointing a gun. It like he doesn't want. Just say this.
0: Wait. Are you, hang on. Hang on a sec here. Are you saying that if someone says I, I'm going to shoot your wife, characterizing that as a threat is not an accurate statement?
3: I, no, it is. That's, it is. Okay. I'm pointing, yeah, I'm pointing out that it is accurate, but it's not an observation. Saying that he threatened to shoot my wife isn't an observation. The observation would be he said, "I'm going to shoot your wife." The quote. You know, this this right. is, judges want you to do this too, in like a court of law. They don't want to hear a lot of the the judgment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they want the quote. So he, I think there's like, a, there is a principle behind like some of this stuff. Uh, not a principle, a, um, it's, it's something that like a lot of people agree on. <laughs> I don't know if that helps anything, but, um, that's more what he's trying to get at in this. So he said, if you're not using observational language, the language of observation, and if you are using more of these language of like judgments or like more vague, not, you know, I, you understand the distinction. I know you do. <laughs> but um, then that's that's what he called violent communication. So he made a very clear distinction on what is violent. And he, although he did claim his guidelines as being nonviolent, that's not to say that all communication that isn't strictly adhering to his guidelines must therefore be violent. That's not... It's just not the case. And going back all the way to the beginning of the conversation uh to say it is is deny is what's called denying the antecedent that is a that is exactly what it is
0: Oh, wait wait do we have to have this conversation again i thought we established this do we want to go back to the mouse and the principal thing i'm not i mean i'm not going to no. pretend we didn't have that conversation because no, that would be dishonest
3: no. To me. <laughs> no i just i i think that when you drew this distinction between you know violence as a concept and a mouse isn't a concept i want i wanted to hear you out and try to understand exactly where you're coming from but i i do think i still think that if you actually let me get through the analogy of this the mouse thing, because a mouse is also a concept. I mean, there are explicit types of mouses. Like this is a Logitech, MX, Pro, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like, but it's under the the broad sweeping concept of computer mouse. And <laughs> like I don't I don't know if you can really I don't know if that distinction that you tried to draw is really useful for anything.
0: But saying it's not really useful is not a rebuttal of my argument.
3: I don't understand the, like, the the rebuttal of the argument is that there was no distinction. Like, you you tried to draw a distinction, but the distinction doesn't exist.
0: Saying you tried to do something, but the distinction doesn't exist is also not a counter-argument. You're just telling me that I'm wrong without actually showing me that I'm wrong. Okay. And you repeated the word mouse a bunch of times, but you're still not formulating an argument.
3: Okay. (laughs) Here, how do you you counter an argument? No, I don't feel like you made a... It was like a non-sequitur. Your feelings are also not an argument. Saying I don't feel like you made an an argument argument is not an argument. I don't think you made an argument. I don't think they're... Saying saying
0: you don't think I made an argument is also not an argument.
3: What's an argument, Stefan?
0: Well, you have to process what I said understand the logic and find
3: the logical fallacy uh, within. The logical fallacy within, it's, non-sequitur. <laughs> it's con- a
0: non-sequitur. Saying it's a non-sequitur is also not an argument.
3: Yes, it is. The conclusion does not follow from the, prem- the premises.
0: Saying the conclusion doesn't follow from the premises is also not an argument. You're just quoting logical uh, fallacies or lo- without actually applying them to my argument.
3: Okay, Can I? you didn't even hear my argument, first of all, so I don't know how you want me to counter... Is the problem really
0: that I haven't heard your argument?
3: Well, you, you didn't because I never even said it. I didn't, the words didn't come out of my mouth because you stopped me the second I started.
0: Well, I can frame your argument, and I didn't stop you as soon as uh, you started. That's a bit of a violation, I think, of your principles because it's kind of a goading thing to say. You your argument was, if this is a computer mouse, and I say this is a computer mouse... And next to it, there is a keyboard. If I say this is a computer mouse, everything that is not a computer mouse is not a keyboard. It could be a whole bunch of other things.
3: Well, that's not what I said. I said this computer yeah. mouse is non-cake, is what I said. <laughs> um,
0: okay, so if the, you say that the computer mouse is non-cake. Mm-hmm. And therefore, everything that is not a computer mouse is not cake.
3: No, everything that is not a computer mouse must therefore be cake. That oh,
0: that would be a fall—a fallacy. That's a right? fallacy, exactly. Right.
3: So, so, okay. So, the denying the—that is called denying the antecedent. If p, then q. Not p, therefore not q. So, if you apply this to you know nonviolent communication, I said. So, right. if you adhere to the guidelines of nonviolent communication, then you're nonviolent. But if you're not adhering to those guidelines, therefore you must be violent. That's clearly denying the antecedent. That's that doesn't follow. <laughs>
0: And do you remember my response
3: to that? You, you said something, something regarding like that violence is a, um, a concept, and somehow it doesn't apply. I, didn't understand, I still don't understand it.
0: <laughs> but my friend, if you don't understand my argument, why do you tell me that I'm wrong?
3: Because it doesn't make sense.
0: No, no. If you don't understand my argument, why would you tell me that I'm wrong? Because it doesn't... I mean, isn't nonviolent communication supposed to be about getting into the other person's shoes and negotiating, right? So if you don't understand my argument, Asking telling me to... that I'm wrong in a wide
3: variety of ways <laughs> is not... Uh... <laughs> well, I would, by telling you that you're valid, I don't... It's not valid. Okay. Um. Could you explain it then? I clearly don't understand it and I don't think I'm stupid, but...
0: Explaining what?
3: Your argument, then, if I'm not understanding it.
0: <laughs> no, you said you don't understand
3: it. Right. If I'm not understanding it, can you explain it again? Like,
0: See, now that, to me, would be a beneficial way to approach the conversation, which is, Steph, I don't, I don't follow the argument. And I, you know, I don't want to say that it's wrong until I really understand it. But wouldn't that be something that would be a better form of communication?
3: Sure. I mean, yes. I <laughs> was well, kind of like... Okay. Yeah, I didn't mean to like... Then, Sure. Do you owe me an apology <laughs> yeah. or anything? I mean, what, what are the consequences to, of not? <laughs> well, do you want me to suffer? For... You're
0: telling me I'm wrong without
3: understanding my argument's kind of rude, isn't it? Well, it's more like... So if somebody were to give you an argument and you didn't understand it... like it, Well, not not just that you didn't understand it. It didn't make any sense to you. It was like, this makes no sense. <laughs> Would you just be like, well, I'm not going to say that you're wrong. Because just because it makes no sense to me, but you know what I mean? I,
0: I tell you this, I mean, if I was, if I were talking to somebody who was an expert in a field that I was not an
3: expert in, I have a degree in philosophy from the university of Michigan.
0: Okay. If I was talking to somebody who was good at something that I was also good at, then I would give them the benefit of the doubt to make sure I really understood their argument Rather than just telling them that they're wrong and then saying that I didn't understand their argument.
3: Okay. Do you understand my argument? You do. Of course, you do. You said that you do, and you get that you get my argument. So, could you show me where? Because I presented the argument, and then you tried to refute it, and you started by saying,
0: "Yeah." So, if if I say that a vacuum is non-matter, then everything that is not a vacuum must be matter.
3: Are you trying to say, like, that? Is that true or not? No, I mean, would you agree with that? My first instinct is, like, can I think of anything that's...
0: Yeah, no, take your time. I I don't want (laughs) to rush. It's a big, big question. I... Don't 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 yeah, let don't, me rush. I don't. It. I, mean, I don't
3: actually know. I'm not. I'm not like a, a specialist in. No, this logic is not physics, right? Okay. Is there anything that's? I mean, like, there's antimatter, which is non-matter. Is that a vacuum or isn't it? Right.
0: Let's just go with the <laughs> sense data. No, I quantum physics and all that aside, and you're right. You're right to bring that up. It's perfectly valid and, and right and smart to bring that up. So let's just go with sort of sense data, right? And let's just go with the whatever, <laughs> the, the, the sort of standard Newtonian conception of matter. If I, and I'm not trying to trick you. Ah, there's antimatter, right? <laughs> But if I say a vacuum is non-matter, then anything that is not a vacuum must be matter. Or, to put it another way, if I say darkness is non-light, right, then anything that is light can't be darkness. They're mutually exclusive. If I say that life is non-death, then anything that is alive can't be dead. And again, I'm not trying to trick you or anything, and I'm you know maybe I'm missing something obvious, but that's as far as I would sort of stop the argument. Life is
3: non-death. Then anything that is life cannot be dead. Right. That's not. That's not an apples to, to apples comparison. So the the um, the way that I said it, that's not what I was saying. You would have to say if life is non-death then not life is death that would be an apples to apples comparison like you you changed it
0: okay let's talk about just because i get that that doesn't make sense right because there are things that are non-life that aren't dead right a rock was never alive and therefore right. you couldn't really classify it as death but if we're talking about life Right. If we're talking about biological life, if we restrict it, and the the reason why I think it's fair to restrict it to biological life is because we're talking about communication. It's not everything, right? Nonviolent communication has the word communication in it, and so we're not talking about everything conceivable in the universe. We're talking about communication, Mm -hmm. right? And so uh, when we're talking life and death, of course, inanimate objects and so on don't count. So, if we restrict our examination to life and death, to biological organisms, then we can say that uh, everything that is biological, that is, has the capacity for life or death, everything that is non-death must be alive. And everything that is alive uh, and everything that is dead can, must be non-life, non-living.
3: I don't. I feel like we're getting bogged down. <laughs> I feel like. No, no, no. no. We're just
0: we're just place. taking this step by step. I mean, can we can we get this far? Because if we can't, then I I'm not sure that our philosophy training. Because now we're hearing two people who've got some training in philosophy try and talk about something, and if we get confused with life and death, I don't know how the hell the rest of the planet is supposed to tie their shoelaces, right? Yeah.
3: All right. I just want I because there's like little subtleties that I'm, like before the. What I just brought up, like I'm trying to make sure that I'm staying accurate. Can you just say it one more time? And I just want to make sure that this is
0: not sure in, in the realm of living organisms mm-hmm. and biological matter, things that were alive or or dead, right?
3: Right. We're restricting ourselves to just
0: just to that, right? In the same yeah. way that nonviolent communication and my response to it restricts itself to communication, right? Mm-hmm. So in the realm of life. Well, actually, death.
3: it doesn't technically. Um, See, that's the why I kind of got lost, is that it actually doesn't at all. Um, What doesn't? Sorry, what doesn't? Nonviolent communication doesn't restrict itself solely to communication, necessarily. Um, No, but I I wasn't talking about the entire body of work. I was talking about three words, nonviolent communication. So we're still talking about, like, is this a good title for... (laughs) Like, fundamentally, at some level, this is not really important as well. It's, like, not... You can't say, I don't like the title of non Wait, wait, wait. So hang on, hang on. I, I just extracted the Come on, come okay, on, come we'll
0: go on. Back. We'll go back. Come on. You you don't get this bullshit in Socratic dialogues where people start talking about this, right? We're just trying to work through a logical problem right, here. Yeah. You've got training. I've got some training. We're just working through a logical problem, that's all. Right, all. Fine, okay. Okay. Let's just go light and dark. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's even easier, right? Okay. Okay. So if I say... That darkness is non-light. Right? Correct. Darkness is non-light.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Then wherever there is darkness, sorry, whenever, wherever there is darkness, there can't be light. And wherever there is light, there's not
3: pure darkness. So if you want, you want to use light and dark, you'd say, I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm trying to put it... Take in, your time. Absolutely. So, so if, if darkness is non-light, Then you'd say there is light. Darkness is non light. There isn't darkness, therefore there is light. Yeah. Right. I think that actually That works, right? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Okay. So That's what non means, right? It's the absence of right? Mm-hmm. Non is the absence, not anti, but non, right? Because there's no such thing as anti-light if we get back to antimatter, and our heads will explode into quarks or something like that, right? right. And so when we say that um, where there is non-light, there must be darkness, and where there is light, there cannot be darkness, right?
3: Right. Um, so this is an example where
0: So so hang on, hang on, I'm almost done, almost done, almost done, wait, wait, wait a sec. So when we say here is an area of non-light, right, this is non-light as a a concept, I don't mean, sorry, an area conceptually, I don't mean like a a spot, because then it could be all over the place, right, like. There are spots on my forehead where there's less light because of freckles, and, right? But, but so, uh, just conceptually, where we say non-light, we are simultaneously defining everything else as light.
3: Um. Sure. Okay. That's fine. I'm not. That's fine. <laughs> yes. Okay. But I'm not sure if that's true of saying, like, well, this is an area of nonviolence, therefore, all other areas must be violent. I, I don't think that like why? Why would why would that be the case?
0: Well we just did this with light. Right. Is there but some magic light? Is there something magic else with the word violence where the, the, the logic doesn't apply?
3: Well, yeah. I mean <laughs> I don't know why why you would just presume that because nonviolent communication is nonviolent, that means anything that isn't adhering those to those guidelines must be violent. Like it, we just did this argument.
2: <laughs> like, what
3: are you doing? You
0: can't don't discredit philosophy. You can't just make shit up because it's uncomfortable, right? We just did this argument with regards to light.
3: Right, but it doesn't work the with the The same regards pattern
0: to applies and to death. this.
3: But it doesn't work because we just went over that it doesn't work with life and death. So I think violence is more of a a life... Violence versus nonviolence is more of the life and death thing versus...
0: Now, the life and death thing is complicated because, of course, you can be in the process of dying. It's just because it's a biological continuum, right?
3: Because rocks.
0: Yeah, because rocks. So what we did was we we could... Because we're talking about... Like, if if I said... You said there's nonviolent communication. And then I said, well, everything that is not communication must therefore be violent. A rock must be violent, right? A map must be violent. Sunlight must be violent. Well, it is. I'm Irish. But like if I made that, that would be an invalid claim. And I think that's closer to what you were talking about at the beginning. But I was in my original call with the caller a couple of weeks ago. I was saying, in the realm of communication, limited to communication, right? If you define X as nonviolent communication then everything which is communication but not X must be violent communication. In the same way that if you say, um, this is non-darkness, everything that is not there must be light. Otherwise, there'd be no capacity to distinguish or differentiate between the two states. So in the realm if if you say like if i say well uh, <laughs> everything nonviolent communication that means anything that is not in the realm of communication must be violent that would be invalid but in the realm of human communication if you say this 10% is nonviolent communication then by definition you must be defining the remaining 90% as violent because we're only talking about human communication here
3: no okay so, i wasn't so, talking
0: about maps or rocks right, or concepts that's not about, what i was trying
3: i, to, I wasn't trying to claim Like, I understand, if, so if I say this 10, let's go back to the 10%, 90% thing, because that actually works for me. Like, it's very easy for me to understand that. Um, so let's say 20% of all communication is nonviolent and 80% of all communication is violent. Let's just say. And then I take 10% of that 20% and say, this 10% is nonviolent. That doesn't necessarily hold that the rest 90, no, because there's another 10% of nonviolent communication that I'm not talking about right now.
0: Sure. That's what I'm trying to say. But that's but that's what I was talking about that there's a definition. Right? Because we're talking about the concepts, right? This, right? It's a, it's a definition. You you can't slice up a definition. It doesn't make any sense. It's like saying 1 mile towards north is north, but 2 miles towards north is something else. No, it's north. You can't slice it up, right?
3: Right, but so <laughs> when all I'm getting at, and it's—I it's, think it's simple, and it, I, I don't understand the comparison with the North thing. Actually, like how that applies, to be honest, I don't—I don't understand how it applies. Um, sorry, <laughs> uh, but I think nonviolent communication, as Marshall Rosenberg defined it, is like a ten percent thing, where I, where there is twenty percent, like let's say, of all communication, twenty percent is nonviolent. Not his what he's calling nonviolent communication is ten percent of it of all communication. Okay. So there is another 10% that, that lives out there that he's not talking about.
0: Wait, there's another 10% of...
3: Nonviolent, that what what he would say, that anyone would say is nonviolent. Well, no, if
0: he must be talking about it, because if he's not talking about it, he doesn't know if there's another 10% or he doesn't know about it, right? Anyway, so I'm again, as I said in the last call, as I say in this call, and I think we can move on from here because I've certainly made all the points I want to make. I'm not talking about the entire body of thought. I'm talking about the two or three, whether you count the hyphen, nonviolent communication and the implication with that, that other other forms of communication must be violent. I think I've made a good case mm-hmm. for that with um, a variety of, of analogies. Uh, if you want to say, well, in the entire complexity of the multi-volume works of Marshall Rosenberg, it's more complicated than that. I would say I absolutely agree with you because there's nobody who says, I have a book called Nonviolent Communication and inside is just blank paper because the entire philosophy is contained in two or three words. Of course not. I absolutely agree with that. And I'm sure it's far more complex in the work as a whole. It was just an issue I had with the description of it as nonviolent communication. Mm -hmm. So I'm fully in agreement with you that I'm sure there's far more complexity and definitions uh, in the work itself.
3: I think that... You know, it was fun to go through at least that one criticism that I had with what you were saying. But um, again, and I don't want to keep dragging this on because, man, there's another color. Um, but very quickly, I don't think um, finding fault in the title. And I, I'd like to read a quote to you. It's very quick um, from Rosenberg talking about the title, Nonviolent Communication, how he doesn't like it either. He's just like you in that he doesn't like it. He said... I don't like that title, Nonviolent Communication. I use it because over the years it connects me with the people around the world that find our training very valuable in their lives and in their political activities. I've used it because it connects me with those people. Why I don't like the title, Nonviolent Communication, is because it says what something isn't. And nonviolent communication is all focused on what we do want, not just what we don't want. Also, communication is only a small part of what I'll be sharing with you. Nonviolent communication consists of a value system that we're trying to live by, and then it outlines a language-thinking communication skills and means of influence that supports the way, that way of living.
0: Okay, go back to where he says what it isn't, please.
3: Oh, what, what nonviolent communication isn't? Like
0: he said it, it describes what it isn't?
3: Oh, no, he says, um, he says I've, uh, why I don't like the title nonviolent communication is because it says what something isn't uh non-violent, nonviolent he doesn't like the the word nonviolent because it says no i get i get it so he says what something isn't so he no, says no, no, that he's t- no, sorry that that's not what that's not what he was saying <laughs> um n- the term nonviolence says what something isn't it says that something isn't violent okay so he doesn't like that it says what something isn't because nonviolent communication that's
0: de- my whole point I- Yes. <laughs> you just gave me the whole... Like, if you'd read this at the beginning, we could
3: have saved 45 minutes. That's my entire point. I wanted to, but you said, no, we want to talk about this. It's a good exper- It's a good uh, uh, thought experiment. I want to stick with... No, topic. but it's, it
0: shows <laughs> my point that you've been arguing with
3: me. <laughs> oh, my God. No,
0: but, but was, <laughs> this, is not, this is not... He's not representative of everybody who comes out of a philosophy degree, at least wow. I know. That, but Thank you. No, seriously, because he said, right here, he said, <laughs> it defines what isn't the word which means does the nonviolent communication the term defines that which is not violent correct which by definition means everything else is violent which was the whole point from the very beginning his theory doesn't no, say you don't. that everything no, you're, you're, of his you're too emotionally invested in this is oh. too emotionally invested i get when i can't win an argument with you i'm only doing this because of the audience right i mean maybe you'll think he it whatever later but um, okay, I got to move on to the next caller. But listen, man, I really do appreciate you calling in. I really I had a great time. <laughs> it's a good workout. <laughs> it
3: sounded sarcastic.
0: No, no, I'm not. I'm genuinely, genuinely appreciative. I mean, I, lo- I love fucking logical arguments. Are you kidding me? That's my thing. Doesn't mean I'm great at it, it just means that's my thing. So uh, I really had a great time in the call. I appreciate- and uh, I appreciate, I also appreciate the further elucidation of the complexities. Of uh, Rosenberg's uh, thoughts and, and approaches and so on, I think that's always fantastic to hear. And you know, man, you're welcome back anytime. <laughs> thanks. That's really kind of you to say. So I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Take care. Yeah, me too.
1: Yeah, thanks, Brian. I enjoyed this conversation immensely as well. I I love the nonviolent communication calls for whatever reason. I always find them very interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, Mike, is there anything else you'd like <laughs> to with that? Because
3: we have another caller on the line. So I... <laughs> oh, come on, two
0: minutes. Two minutes. What, it's all about the listeners? We can't have any adult time? Oh, that was a mean thing to say. I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> well, what can I... We've talked about it before in other shows.
0: I know, but just say, why do you find them? Why, do you, why are you like, uh, NVC, come to us.
4: <laughs> uh,
1: it always tends to wind up being very passive-aggressive with nonviolent communication calls. And that's... that's do you mean me? Because I think I'm openly aggressive. I am not think
0: passive-aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> oh you mean that call that's right okay.
1: well brian you can feel free to jump on brian if you want to so, oh sorry i muted um, as well because well me, can i run through a couple of things because i was taking notes during the call just for my own yeah if
3: i was passive aggressive that was not my intent at all i don't know that <laughs> was yeah, for not it is.
1: for any of us when then go well, cool let's actually talk about this because this is this is why i'm interested in the nonviolent communication calls because my first question is why are you interested in nonviolent communication
3: i think it helps people and and I understand that Stefan says, like, oh, well, I wasn't very enlightened by you know, listening to it, which makes sense to me. It's like, if, hey, don't, you know, say, well, I guess I can't say, oh, don't make judgments because Stefan doesn't agree. <laughs> but, like, making demands instead of requests is another form of violent communication. And if I went through the list, we stopped at the first one, but there are actually three. And so well, Stefan's Brian, obviously I, like, yeah, don't I... make demands of people. Like, what the heck?
1: <laughs> Sorry to cut you off, Brian, but I, I know we're shorter on time, with. Greg waiting in the wings here for a call but I think we can simplify it even more and just say you want to be a better communicator you're interested in nonviolent communication you want to be a better communicator with people you don't want to throw resolve
3: conflicts yes yes. provoke defenses
1: and stuff yeah you (laughs) want to be able to resolve conflicts with people and um, you know sort out problems and without things getting into a big mess emotionally for people and defenses coming up you don't want to provoke additional defenses when that's you know, can be avoided in any way, shape, or form. That, I mean, that's why I assume you're interested in nonviolent communication. Is that, would you agree?
3: Resolving conflicts is the, the goal of it. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, well, I was taking notes from the beginning of the conversation and Steph mentioned that, uh, your initial question, the way it was written was kind of insulting. He felt somewhat insulted by the question. And I, I can, I can see that. And we kind of brushed past that right away. And you actually said, well, that's, Because Mike said it has to be one or two sentences, so I didn't want to go on there. So then you, it's my fault for the question being the way
3: it is. I wouldn't say, no, it's the structure of, you need a couple sentences to introduce somebody, so that's what...
0: (laughs) It's it's the structure's fault, Mike, not yours. You impose the structure, so it's not your fault. It's the structure's fault. Gotcha. But you see whose responsibility is missing? My
3: responsibility is missing.
0: Yeah, exactly. Now... If I say I find that kind of an insulting question, I, I don't mean that I'm just telling you my sort of experience of it. I'm not saying that, that I didn't say you insulted me or you were being a jerk or anything like that, right?
3: You were insulted by the question.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and but I didn't judge you for it. I just said that was my experience, right? Yep. And you basically t- told me I was wrong and then mm. blamed Mike for the limitations of the question. Didn't express any curiosity about what I thought and felt.
3: No, I we identified what you identified what you thought was insulting about it. You said um, that the the word's quite troubling because, and I knew exactly why as soon as you brought it up, because I just...
0: No, I wasn't insulted by quite troubling. See, that I said it wasn't philosophical.
3: Oh. Okay, yeah, but so you, you said it wasn't philosophical, and I was like, you're right. Being troubled by something that you said is not an argument at all. It is just an experience that I had. Just like, you know, you felt... Ex- uh, insulted by it. That's not a philosophical thing either. Feeling insulted isn't philosophical. Same thing.
0: Absolutely. Sorry, Mike, go ahead.
1: Okay, so we moved past that. You said, well, let's not talk about that or let's not worry about that when that came up.
0: Kind of dismissive, right?
1: So right at the beginning, there's already a disconnect. And given that your interest in nonviolent communication is because you want to resolve problems, like you said, there's a problem right there at the beginning well, because conflicts. there's a disconnect. Conflicts. Well, there's a conflict right there at the beginning.
0: And I don't, I don't, I can't imagine anywhere in Rosenberg he says dismiss the other person's feelings and say that it's time to move on.
3: <laughs> what, what, what could I have done differently? Well, you're the expert. What would he say? I, I'm not an expert in nonviolent
0: communication. Well, you'd be more, you're more of an expert than I am. What would, what would he say?
3: Uh, I definitely want to be more interested in. Um, your feelings, so you, and actually, ins- being insulted isn't a feeling. <laughs> um, anger is a feeling, or I'm not sure what your feeling was there either.
0: No, I said I was annoyed. Mm-hmm.
3: Okay, annoyed. Um,
0: That's a feeling, right?
3: Uh, probably, yeah. I'd say it's a feeling. So, um, okay. So I looked. So at, I
0: expressed, I expressed a feeling, and you basically said, "Well, let's just move on."
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. And why do you Sorry, think go that ahead, happened, Brian?
0: Oh, why do you think he said? Oh, well, yeah. Why did you want to move on?
3: To, do you want? It's, yeah,
1: I'm. I'm okay. Curious.
3: It's going to sound like I'm trying to just remove blame from myself or something, right? But the last call. Ooh, that's. It's, I see. A, I, I the last call took an hour and a half, and I wanted to get it done as soon as possible. Clearly, it doesn't matter because, geez.
0: We're, so you had a need, like an impatient need, right? Which you didn't communicate to me, but right. drove you past my need, which was, I said, I feel annoyed and, you know, all that, right?
3: It was actually out of, it wasn't just impatience. Like, I'm, I, well, I don't care about you. I want to get to my thing. No, that's not what I said. I, it was that I wanted to make sure that everybody was going to get heard. There was another caller after me, and I was just trying to, you know. So by
1: wanting to make sure that everyone got heard, Steph ended up not getting heard at the start.
3: Yeah, so... Stuff
0: And you felt, you probably, I'm just guessing, right? I don't know, right? But maybe you felt kind of like a time pressure, like an anxiety, like yes. I've got to get this call moving. And so you had a need, which was to reduce your own anxiety about the potential length of the call.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so you blew past what I was sort of experiencing, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, that's what happened.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think just what we discussed right there is incredibly important. Because, I mean, Brian, if you would have said, like, you know, I expressed your, your need to not take up so much time because you were concerned about, you know, the other caller possibly not getting on. I mean, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate sensitivity towards the other callers and wanting to make sure everyone gets on to, to speak on a given show. I mean, that's, I'm in total agreement with that. And I appreciate that. But at the same time, you know, you've waited a while to call in as well. I want to make sure that you get, the totality of your question answered, and that it's the kind of productive conversation that you want. I assume you don't it's, want it's them.
0: It's sorry to interrupt, Mike, but it's also, I think, could be interpreted as somewhat disrespectful towards me. Like it's my show; it's not your job to manage that, right? Yeah, you're right. It's not like I, I if I feel the call's going on too long, I'm perfectly free to say, "Sorry, call's going on too long."
1: And you actually it's did not that in the first call to... as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did that in the first call, and. It's not your job, like working both sides of the relationship almost always causes problems. Mm. It's what I was saying to the first caller when I said, you can't make it work for both of you. Right? You can't be yourself and the other person's needs at the same time. It's my job to worry about the length of the show or the accessibility of the callers to, to time with me or with Mike or whatever. That's my job. It's not your job.
3: I, yeah. So and,
0: and saying you're basically saying, Steph, I don't think you can manage this, so no. I'm going to manage it for you. You've already been doing the show for eight years, Steph, but <laughs> you know it's my first time here. I've really got to help you along with this.
3: Well, I've I've seen in the past where some callers had to not get on because they ran out of time. But I think that was back when you had like a, a live show rather than just like, no, no, it still happens. It still happens most happens. weeks. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't know. Most it's weeks, not again, not a live show, but yeah. So I've seen it. So I just wanted to, you know, I was I was worried and. It, whether that's justified or not, whether that's my place to be worried about it or not. I mean, it's a worry that I had. So anyway, um, could, do you mind telling me what you felt insulted? Cause when you said that you felt insulted and then you went on to say that, you know, or not insulted, um, annoyed. So I'm sorry, annoyed that you quite troubling is what you, I thought you were targeting for that annoyance. And so then I wanted to go, you're absolutely no, right. Uh, that's reason, not philosophical. Sorry,
0: Brian, the reason, since you asked, the reason why I felt annoyed was that, um, you you had a, a, a short amount of time to put your issues forward that you wanted to talk about, and you spent at least two thirds of it telling me about ways that I was wrong that you didn't want to talk to me about. Right, and then you and then you say, "Well, I didn't have enough length." Well, if you didn't have enough length, why are you putting all these things in <laughs> that I'm wrong about that you don't want to even talk about? That's that. That's not. That doesn't make much sense to me, I, I, other than I, I, it may be emotionally manipulative so to uh-huh. make me feel like I'm in the wrong without actually telling Definitely me how or why.
3: To emotionally manipulate you, um, I don't even think I'd be capable of emotionally manipulating <laughs> you, to be honest with you. Um, but
0: well, I, that's a that's a
3: pretty, pretty big statement. I think
0: every human being is capable of emotional manipulation. Just um, I, I think saying that I'm incapable or I don't think I'm capable of any form of emotional manipulation.
3: No, I think kind i of manipulative. Try. No, I could try to. I just don't think it succeeds. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, that's. Okay.
0: So you're saying that when I bring this up, you are perfectly one hundred percent sure that you were not trying to be manipulative in any way, shape, or form. No doubt about
3: it. Manipul- I wasn't trying to. I mean, if you know, trying to make my call shorter is manipulation. Then I guess.
0: No, 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 no. I'm talking about when you you tell me that I'm wrong. And then tell Don't tell me that. Don't tell me why I'm wrong. And then say you also don't want to talk to me about how I'm wrong.
3: What What are you referring to
0: right
1: now? Because Mike, thought... you've got the text, right? Yeah, the, I'll just read the question again, real quick. You wrote during May sixteenth oh, call tall. in show title "Judgment as Violence." You proposed several criticisms of the late Marshall Rosenberg's guidelines for achieving what he labeled nonviolent communication, that I found to be quite troubling. So in the no, hang on. So it's a sentence mm-hmm. after that. Oh, okay. I believe there are several logical errors in your explanation that concern me, but ignoring them, I have two main questions. Right. So, Steph,
0: you're wrong. I'm troubled. You've made logical errors, but we're not going to talk about them. Here's my other questions. Here's my real question.
3: Yeah, it was because I was told like two, th- two to three sentences and I had already No, no,
0: that. you're not, under- Brian, you're not understanding. Or maybe you are. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, but you can't I'm, get it. It's, it's, if you're short on time, why bring things up that you're not even going to discuss? Like, if you're short on space, mm-hmm. if it's a couple of sentences, why spend two of those sentences telling me I'm wrong, but you're not going to discuss it with me?
3: So I should have omitted all of the parts where I said that I was troubled, and I should have omitted... Ignoring. Well, if, but if, if you're, you're saying, about moving on, here are my real questions. Omit them.
1: Sorry, go ahead, Mike if you're concerned about space, it would make logical sense to omit anything that wasn't your actual question.
3: Right. So, oh, if I'm concerned about space, like, I was, you said, I didn't, you said, no,
0: listen, Brian, 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 you said, I said, why would you tell me I'm wrong without telling me how I'm wrong? And you said, I didn't have space. But if you if you're concerned about space, then telling me I'm wrong without telling me why I'm wrong and that you don't even
3: want to discuss it is a waste of that space. Oh, uh, I do want to discuss it. We did discuss it. Well, we just discussed one thing. <laughs> what did he uh,
0: What did he say? He said, "Moving on." My real question is, or moving past them, my them. real question,
1: but ignoring but, uh, my real igno- so,
0: Yeah, you said ignoring them, the reasons that I'm wrong. Ignoring them. Here are my main questions. So you basically said I want to ignore them. Ignoring them. Here's what I really want to talk about. So, Steph, you're wrong. I'm not going to tell you about how you're wrong or why you're wrong. I don't think wrong. that's what
3: I meant by ignoring them. I, that's not clear. Sorry, that wasn't clear. Yeah, that's what it was. What does ignoring them mean? Well, what I meant by it, and clear, it's not clear. <laughs> I'm agreeing with you. It's not clear. Is that, you know taking them out <laughs> I'm not gonna t- like because I did I wrote a huge list and then I had to delete it when I looked at and said like I, I written this this what happened is I wrote a big thing like a big pair like long paragraphs um and I have it ri- I have it in a word document right now I could send it to you <laughs> I, I was re- I'm sure the
1: original email was much longer when I and
3: asked I the- and then I, I I was like oh crap when I went and looked and he said in just two or three sentences and I was like oh crap so I just like went over deleted a whole bunch of craps just said ignoring it and then put it at the end what my, my uh, questions were. So if if that wasn't clear, but (laughs) you're right, that wasn't clear. And I should have taken a little bit more time to make sure I was being clear. I did. Yeah.
0: Well, and, and the funny thing is, and this is what's interesting, is that if we had talked about that at the beginning, rather than you saying, let's just move on, we would have cleared that up, Right. And what effect that would have had on the remainder of the conversation, I don't know. But it's not particularly pleasant when I say, well, I found this kind of annoying, because I don't know what the heck's gone on before, like, neither does Mike. He just, right? <laughs> and if I said, I found this kind of annoying, if you said, oh, you know, we went this, this, this we took all this stuff out, and so on, right? Then that would have been, that, and this is, you know, I guess, NVC for for you and, and for me, I guess, too, which is, um, I could have said, when you said let's move on, I could have said, well, no, wait, we just blew past my annoyance thing, right? Right. Or I um, didn't, I didn't And, and that then if we we'd stopped at that, we we could have talked about the letter that you'd written, which contained your view of my errors, and we like, and this is instructive for the audience. I think mm-hmm. it's fantastic, right? I mean, this is how uh, conflicts can be avoided, and, and haste makes waste, kind of thing, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, because when you said that you were annoyed, I thought it was literally just the, when I was like quite troubling, and like, well, that's not, an, you know, that's not. I could see why that was annoying and I immediately, I just jumped to it. Yeah. I was, I was kind of zooming. My brain was zooming and I thought, okay, I agree that that's, that would annoy me too if I were you. I get that because that's not an argument. So I was like, okay, you're right. That's not an argument. Let's get to the arguments. And so then I just jumped right into the, you know what I mean? So that's where my mind was at. And yeah, and I, I I definitely missed more of what had I, you know, taken more time to really hear you out, I wouldn't have missed the further, annoyances within the uh the ignoring them part you you were also uh, annoyed by ignoring them but we just skipped right past it so uh,
0: yeah i never and, and this is i don't know if you do any public philosophical work but you know boy if i had a dime for every time to, someone told me i was wrong without telling me why uh, you know i <laughs> well i'd have a lot of dimes yeah. every youtube comment way. ever
3: you know you you
0: got you just you're just wrong you don't know what you're talking about bye (laughs) right i'm not putting you in that category i mean you're obviously much smarter and and certainly better trained in in thinking and so on but um yeah it's just you know and it's not like i read those every day and it's like oh my god i can't believe it's just it's you know it's after eight years of people saying you're wrong bye yeah and you're
3: wrong i'm gone it, it says what you said is troubling to me you made logical errors. I'm going to ignore them. Here's some questions. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Yeah, come on. I mean, that's funny. <laughs>
0: it's like it's like a silly It's 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 a much better educated form of soft trollery, but it just <laughs> strikes me and I am not I'm not saying it was, because now I know you wrote out this whole thing beforehand, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh I didn't know certainly know that at the time. But sorry, Mike, you had other things, other notes?
1: Okay, so we, we got started off on that foot. And then um you mentioned a fallacy, a specific fallacy, the name of which I don't remember off the top of my head right now. Um, but then you admitted that Steph probably wouldn't know what it was. And if Steph doesn't know what it, would, what it is, I assume the vast majority of the listenership doesn't know what it means. And yeah, we actually same, just oh, we... talked in the previous show about not using, uh, was it Socrates didn't use epistemology because he was speaking to the average person and he wanted to keep the language kind of at that level, so it didn't go over their heads. So I just, and then he admitted that people wouldn't know what it means, so I was just like... But then didn't stop to define it, right?
3: Oh, no, I did. <laughs> I said if P, then Q, not P, therefore not Q. That's the definition of the logical fallacy, and then I went you think in.
0: that the average person is going to follow that in rapid speech?
3: Well, then I wanted to, well, yeah, and I was, I was going to break it down. So title of logical fallacy, definition, and now I'm going to explain it, and I was going to use the... Uh, a mouse, not cake thing, but you didn't like. Really quickly, you're just like, oh, okay, that's no, we're not going to go there. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let's you know work it out your way, because I'm sure your ways I didn't like. I didn't like. What does that mean? I
0: didn't like it. You mean I thought it was the wrong color or it smelled offensive to me? It, no, I disagreed. I said that was yeah. a particular instance, and we're talking about a category or a concept. It wasn't like I just it didn't like it. <laughs> I'm not sure what that would even mean. I, Yeah. You know, if I say my teacher didn't like my answer, I mean, not that I'm your teacher or anything, but it would just again, the way you phrase stuff, I mean, it's you're assuming like you 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 you're assuming an emotional state of mind that is rigorous like very anti philosophical. Like, like, that's not... I just didn't like it.
3: <laughs> you're right. That it will it's it's not it's easily inferred from that language you're in. It's easily inferred. And that's not yeah, I'm not trying to say, like, you had a preference against it, so we're going to try something else. No, you said, I tried to do an analogy. So going back to the main point, <laughs> I defined a logical fallacy, or I gave the title, gave the definition, and then was going to try to explain the definition. And I don't I don't understand. Is, is that okay? Or do you want me to still talk about how I shouldn't say... Um, that you didn't like it. I meant by that clearly. No, let's move on to the next point.
1: All right. The next, the next thing on my list was you said, let's not get hung up on terms when we are trying to establish definitions, which for a philosophy show. Yeah. I mean,
0: hung up is one of those phrases that, um, you know, I think for people who are talking philosophy, terms are pretty important. You know, it's like if, if, um, if biologists are having a discussion about whether something is a reptile or a mammal, and they say, well, let's not get hung up on definitions, it's like,
3: they're really actually pretty important, right? A lot of times, but a lot of times it's not. Like, sometimes when you're talking about definitions, it's not really – like, with. I think what – the context of when I said that was when we were talking about moral judgments versus – uh, like inaccurate moral judgments or false you know what I mean? and i was just like well I, I the distinction i'm trying to make when i say moral judgments was distinction between those things and observations which you, and you once i explained it that way i think it made it more clear and
0: well then <sighs> then what we could say is our terms need further clarification But let's not get hung up means let's not have some irrational attachment to clarity. I mean, the whole point of philosophy is (laughs) is irrational attachment to clarity. So you can say, well, I think our terms need better definition or so on. But just generally, when people say let's not get hung up, what they mean is you're getting irrationally fixated on something that's unimportant. Let's not get hung up on right. You know, let's just keep moving, and you know your concerns don't matter. Your 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 confusion doesn't matter. Your need for clarity doesn't matter. Let's just keep moving,
1: right? And also, Brian. You know, going to the NVC stuff. If Steph has a need to understand what you're saying and make sure that we have clear terms and definitions at the start to continue the conversation, you blow past that. You're ignoring his need.
3: I don't think. Okay, so he had a need for clarity and I was blowing past that need. I don't I didn't think that it was um the the distinctions that we were making were useful to the actual topic.
0: But it's a conversation, which means my needs, like your perception of what's important is the isn't the only relevant factor, right? Mm-hmm.
3: What I'm saying though is <laughs> is that I don't Objectively, I don't think the distinctions that we were making were useful to the topic. Like, it's not, it's not like, you know. But do you get to
0: decide that for me? That's what I don't understand about NVC.
3: Well, it's, do you it's get not, to,
0: like if I have a need, do you get to decide unilaterally that my need is not relevant or important and we should just ignore it or move past it?
3: Well, that's not, yeah, that's not what NVC would say. <laughs>
0: And I think that's all we're trying to point. I think yeah. that's what we're trying to point at.
3: And, right. Um, so I wasn't practicing nonviolent communication very effectively when I tried to blow past your need for clarity when I believed that it wasn't um, important to the topic or something like that. Yeah. Right.
0: Especially with a really complex topic like what is a moral judgment? I mean, entire volumes of philosophy right. shelves have been <laughs> taken up by that. It's really not something that's a simple thing, Right. Two and two makes four, yeah, okay, we can dispose of that pretty easily, but what is a moral judgment? Can they be true or false? and I mean that's a big,
1: big topic. I don't know that we can just whew, keep moving mm-hmm. simple right all right the the next one on my list was you said something to the effect of uh, use the word actually, if you actually let me get through if you actually let me, there is something containing if you actually let me um, in a statement which. Again, Steph, can you elaborate on why that's uh, a little grating?
0: <laughs> not because uh, I don't know the context in which it came in. So if you if you remember
1: that at all, it was Micah, like if you actually let me speak my argument kind of thing.
3: I think it was in context to when I was trying, still trying to go to the, the mouse thing and, or I don't know.
1: It had to do with the it's mouse thing. Memory. Yeah, but it's if you actually let me like you're not giving me the opportunity to speak whereas you both had you know, gone back and forth and had plenty of oppor- opportunities and time to make various points. It's like, you're not letting me get my point across.
0: Oh, yeah. There were times where you interrupted me and I sort of said, OK, go ahead or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes that happens, right? I mean, people get excited and you think you can solve it and you want to jump in. And, and, and that that happens, I think, on both sides of a conversation. Um, now, Steph, if you'd bit...
1: actually let me get my point across and not have interrupted me there.
3: it's a little
0: bit condescending a little bit inflammatory and a little bit like playing the victim like oh if you just let me blah 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 right it's like "Mm."
3: yeah i can just a conversation yeah see that as being like condescending or like um it's your fault that you don't understand really you know it's not my fault for not explaining it well it's your fault because you're not letting me like you know Mm -hmm. and
1: the the last one i had on my list was um you said in the middle of. You know, going through some pretty complex stuff. You said, "I think it's simple," or "It's simple." No,
0: that
3: happened a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. and it's like, like I don't even remember that. I was not. <laughs> I you'll hear. You'll hear back. Yeah. You'll hear back. We we like, will splice it in. I it. remember it's not all there all other things, but that's, <laughs> I just don't even remember. So yeah.
1: Well, that's see. That's the point, Brian. Because I don't think you're doing this stuff consciously. Like well, you yeah. know, it's it's it's, but it's happening and if your goal i mean you're interested in nonviolent communication because you said you want to solve problems if in your communication things are happening which cause further problems and you're not aware of them i mean that's important
3: right it's really and important that's why nonviolent communication is um so nonviolent once once you learn nonviolent communication it's not like you suddenly no longer have flaws in your communication all it is is like an outline of like how can you can go back like we're doing right now and identify where I failed and then disavow those failures like I am doing right now. Uh, that's a lot of the the point of moral philosophy, too, is, you know, it's not like every time you wake up in the morning, you're going to go, what should I do now? Brush my teeth. Let me consult oh, I, my I moral theory. Brian, Brian, I, sh-
0: I, I don't think... Sorry to interrupt you, man. I I don't think right now is the time to lecture. I, <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm not in a wide open space to be lectured to about, about this. Um, I will give you an apology, though, which, you know, sort of in in thinking about what we were just talking about, uh, I owe you an apology for not um, being uh, honest about at the beginning when we blew past stuff, not putting the brakes on and circling back. Uh, that was not up to my standards of uh, real time relationships and being honest in the moment. And uh, I was uh, eager to get to the philosophical meat of the conversation. And uh, I should not have succumbed to that greed for that uh, particular, um, where I have the most fun, Uh, I should have stopped uh, and been honest about how my irritation had escalated uh, to a small degree at the beginning. And I'm sorry about that. That was certainly not up to my standards of uh, what uh, what I want to do in conversation. So I'm sorry about that. And I don't know to what degree that affected the conversation, but it, it sure wasn't
3: positive. It's really kind of you to say that. Um, I really, like, that's nice. Like, it makes me feel really good that, that you would um, level with me on that. And let me know, like, what your standards are. And I would never claim, and I don't try to, I'm not trying to lecture, but I would never claim to say anything negative about your character ever <laughs>
0: like oh no us yes, neither i i think that uh you you came in with honorable intentions and i i think we did a pretty good job in a highly contentious topic so i i'm satisfied with the conversation and yeah we can always improve but that's you know when we're not we're we're back into the uh the dead category we were talking about earlier
3: i also wanted to just i've taken note of because i've listened to you for a pretty long time um and one thing that really impressed me is on a recent call, some a guy uh, called in and talked about how he had like an ACE score of nine, and then you gave him therapy and paid paid for it. that. Like that touched me so much that I could like witness you doing that for somebody. And I think a lot of times actions speak louder than words, and like that was really impressive to me. Like, so, mm, thank
0: you, I appreciate that, and I'm very glad. Uh, I think he's taken us up on it, so I'm I'm thrilled for all of that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's two people. Right. One of the gentlemen is uh, in right now. And the other, um, last I spoke with him, he was still trying to find somebody. And we were going back and forth. So, so yeah, that's, that's great to hear. And uh before we go, Brian, I'll just say again, welcome to call back anytime. Like, like <laughs> Steph said, it wasn't sarcastic. You're welcome to come back and talk yeah, about I, it's, whether it's nbc or another subject anytime
3: really i really want to definition. thank you too um for going through all the, the list of like grievances that you had with you know my approach so that i could you know really see where i went wrong that i wait do you thinking. want one more yeah no <laughs> if <laughs> you yeah.
0: yeah yeah so uh, at one point um you did say that you didn't understand my argument after you had uh, said uh, a bunch of times that i was wrong
3: right yeah we
0: and I, I said where does where does where do apologies stand I don't know if you heard it or not. don't you owe me an apology where do apologies stand uh, in in nonviolent communication and we didn't <laughs> we didn't return to that at all either and I don't like I don't mean to grind apologies out of people or anything like that it's not some sort of dominance thing ah, I going to make you grovel and apologize or anything like that. I'm just curious, you know, I mean, if if I had told someone I was wrong, and then they said, well, explain to me my argument. And I said, well, actually, I I don't really understand your argument. I'd have to say, you know, boy, I'm sorry, you know, I I told you you were wrong. And Mm -hmm. I didn't even really understand your argument. And as it turns out, the argument was actually pretty good. I mean, whether it's conclusive, I don't know. But it was not bad, right? It wasn't like. uh, all men are frogs, frogs are Socrates, therefore frogs are immortal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't anything <laughs> quite that bad.
3: I'm not sure. And, and so sorry, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just, I thought you were done, but um, I, I don't think I said sorry, and I don't think I've said sorry at all this entire time for anything. Um, But I I did, I believe I said that, you know, I was wrong to, or it wasn't correct or up to my standards to, uh, to do that, I think. And if I didn't, I, I'll say it now. <laughs>
1: Did you hear that, Mike? I didn't. Um, I don't, but I could have missed it. I I'd, I'd I know. honestly could have missed it. So There was some
0: talkovers. And
1: so anyway,
3: I don't know. I'll say it now. So I, I don't know about saying sorry. Like, do I re- do I regret it? I learned from it. So I, whatever. <laughs> sorry. Like, I'm sorry for doing that. If that means the same thing, um, saying like I, that was an error to do that. So. I don't
0: know what that was. To dismiss. <laughs> to be it was an error to dismiss,
3: to dismiss your argument and say, like, just because I don't understand it means that it's clearly false or something.
0: Well, you know better from a philosophy degree, right? That gives you privileges in terms of what I'll grant you in terms of uh, intellectual respect uh, uh, off the bat. But it also means that you really know that that's bad form, right?
3: Right. I, um... That that Like if you were just some
0: guy out of nowhere who'd never been in a debate Mm -hmm. before or hadn't studied logic or argument uh, argumentation, then you could, you know, it would be like, oh, you know, learner's mistake, so to speak. Right. But if you, you got an undergraduate degree in philosophy, you know that dismissing an argument without understanding it and saying that the other person is wrong in a public forum without understanding the argument is pretty bad form. Right
3: it's definitely not up to a uh, standard because I don't think other people are going to learn from it, especially. So it's important when, like you said, especially in a public forum to make sure yeah, that I got carried are. away.
0: I was, yeah. you know, I didn't, you know, I knew that that was wrong. Uh, and, and when it was pointed out to me, what I had did, I didn't apologize. Like that's, you know, I think that's, it was, um, <laughs> right, yeah. it was wrong. And it doesn't mean bad or, you know, like you're a terrible person or it's just, you know, in the heat of whatever, right. We got carried away and,
3: it certainly isn't um, conducive to learning or, like, uh, arriving at truths. So that's what's important when you're having debates or, like, even dialectics or whatever. The whole
0: point yeah, is to get it to doesn't, truth. Um, so it's not it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, it, it sows seeds of further conflict, right? Mm-hmm. Because if, it, I, I know that you know that that's bad form, and if you don't sort of acknowledge it and apologize for it, it means that you're not someone who could admit fault, Or somebody who has no standards, even after being trained in those standards, which I don't believe for a moment. And if you're someone who can't admit fault, then it means that we turn from a cooperative venture into more of an adversarial venture. Because if you can't admit fault uh, when you've done something wrong, then we can't be a team in the exploration or understanding of these ideas.
3: Exactly. Very true.
0: All right. I'm going to have to take a tiny break. I do want to get to the next callers. God knows what time it is. <laughs> <for them. laughs> but tell them, tell them I'll be there in a sec. I, I just, I got to grab a drink uh, uh, and uh, I'll be, I'll be back in like
1: two minutes. Just be a
0: and Brian, crap. thanks again, Emil. I re- again, really appreciate the call. Uh, the after call is probably a thanks, Mike. <laughs> that was good, good stuff to bring up. Um, I hope it was helpful for you. Certainly helpful for me. And I appreciate that reminder of keeping the standard high. Yes,
3: I definitely have learned a lot. Thank you.
1: All
0: right, bring him on. Bring him
1: on, I say. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, up next is Greg. And Greg wrote in and said, Is it moral to have children when you're ill, either physically and or mentally? For some background, I've been injured by antibiotics. And after seven years of dealing with this issue, I believe it may have a huge aspect among many for my impending separation slash divorce. The question started to come up last fall between my wife and I when we were married and I expressed my feelings about having children, not wanting any, because of the symptoms I deal with on a daily basis. That's from Greg. Well, I'm, first of all,
0: incredibly sorry to hear about all this. Do you wanna, yeah. I don't want to probe. Is there anything more that you want to talk about uh, with this stuff? Uh, like with the medical and all that?
4: Uh, well, I can say that it's been a... Uh, pretty difficult uh, seven years because first, um, uh, I guess the background of it is uh, the first year that I was first afflicted with it um, was a very uh, emotionally, physically tough time. And um, when I say uh, very tough, I mean almost losing my job, my life, my sanity. Um, And I just happened to run across a Particular chiropractor who had said that you know I've seen a few people that have had these type of reactions. Yours is pretty severe, but um, um, you know, just he's like I've I've got some stuff you can try, and that was after a year of going through some really severe symptoms, and um, you and know, this,
0: it, so he he'd seen people who'd been uh, injured by antibiotics.
4: Correct. Yeah, and um, now now his treatment for it, it is. <laughs> You know, it's basically more or less, uh, you, you know, what you would think when you would go to your physician and, you know, like, oh, you know, you just need to eat better and take these type of supplements to help get through that. Whereas um, the 11 specialists I had seen before that were just like, well, you're insane. Um, you just need to go on some antidepressants and, and everything will be fine. Uh uh and needless to say, I said, okay fine, since no one believes me that I'm going through this and having this extreme pain and all these other additional problems that uh uh you know, I'll give it a try. Obviously it didn't do anything. Uh, um and and if if any Wait, what,
0: sorry, what didn't what didn't do anything?
4: Um the antidepressants.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, okay
4: Yeah. So um and also if, and, if and any, sorry, just
0: to mention too, that I I've like I've read a number of articles about the degree to which people just shovel antidepressants at people who have underlying medical conditions uh, that uh, maybe is too troublesome or challenging to identify. Uh, so you're not alone in that. That's is one of these huge, very tragic go-to places for the medical profession.
4: Right. Yes. And, then, um, and, it, and this actually isn't the first time that I've experienced this. Um, uh, when I was younger, I had some other issues uh, health-wise where With massive and severe panic attacks and everything, why they said, "Well, we really don't know how to treat this or deal with it, so why don't you just take these pills?" And at that point, it was Xanax, and that was another fun time in my life. Um, (laughs) So there is that. Uh, But um, if if um, may I plug a a website for an organization that I'm um, a part of, just in case anyone listening, you know, is maybe in the same st- state or same position where I was in, where you couldn't find help and didn't have any outlets to go and try to find information as what to do next for yourself? Would you have any issues? Oh, I'd, I'd be
0: thrilled. You know, if you can get, get help out to listeners, I'm thrilled.
4: Fantastic. Um, the website is is called saferpills.org. And it's a um, an organization that is trying to conduct studies for um, individuals such as myself and others out there um, that may be experiencing really extreme side effects from what, you know, you, myself, and other people that are not informed that, uh, you know, a doctor may prescribe a pill for you that you would think would be helpful, but you as a patient taking these pills may not know that there are some pretty drastic side effects that could afflict you, um, and, and they're trying to fund some research and do studies to figure out why some people, you know, such as myself, would have such severe reactions versus others that can take these pills and have no reactions at all. Uh, and, and just make, you know, awareness uh, for medical professionals and patients that, you know, do you really need to take this medication for such a, you know, minor ailment? Um, are there other alternatives that are not as extreme? Um, you know the, these these are just the type of things that you know a patient you know the patient doctor relationship should have um, but um, I, I can tell you after going through what I've been through uh, I, I never take anything from a doctor just as face value anymore <laughs> I can definitely tell you that
0: right yeah and I'm incredibly sorry I mean I've I mean, I've never heard of. I've heard of allergies to penicillin or antibiotics. I think penicillin, in particular, I've never heard of that kind of negative reaction from antibiotics. So I'm incredibly sorry that the lightning of bad luck hit you square in the nuts. That's just terrible. <laughs> I'm so sorry.
4: Pretty much, and um, and that basically uh, preface the you know the whole idea of me uh, calling in and, and discussing this topic with you, um, and and. If you would like to go into a little bit more of the background of how this question came to be, and also how I got onto the show, if if that would be helpful, or if you,
0: it's your choice, uh, I'm you know I appreciate you staying up late. It's it's your it's your call. Whatever works for you.
4: Um, uh, sure, thing. So uh, I guess I would like to give background to the listeners. Um, so I, I've started listening to your show late last year and um, became very interested in the topics and in issues that you had brought up not only with the call-in shows which how i was first introduced to you uh but also the information that you provide through the uh the truth about you know xxx you know whichever topic it would be for that particular uh time and i started donating uh after a couple months of uh you know in taking all the information that you're providing, and I, and I really enjoyed and feel that, you know, if you're doing this, then I should participate by providing financial support.
0: Thank um, you. Thank you so much.
4: Absolutely. And um, I think after a couple months and after my personal situation with my uh, impending separation, which will be, of course, ending in divorce, um, I am starting to realize the financial impact that that's having, which is – forcing me to cut off it, you know, basically anything that's not going to financially be pushed to me getting rid of my house and all the other aspects of things that I need to do from a financial aspect to keep my health at a certain level. Uh, so I'm, so that I would be able to work and, you know, do it effectively and what have you. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you and I can't remember from the email. It's it's been a little while now, but either yourself or Michael reached out and and was asking why I canceled my subscription. Um, hence, I responded back with, you know, basically the question that I was posing, and right. pl- plus everything that's going on personally, for which I'm you know would have to. Uh, Kind of take stock of like okay what you know what are what are the extraneous things that I need to cut out financially as of this you know as of this moment just so I can get out of this situation as cleanly as possible. Um,
0: can I sorry and I like appreciate the explanation and listen I mean it's not just you I mean there it's it's a gruesome economy in the U S. Years ago I projected there will be no economic recovery and people are like oh yeah my stocks are doing great it's like yeah and heroin's fine till you crash too but. Uh, <laughs> um so yeah i mean what is the even according to official government statistics um i think obama had like the worst q1 of any president in history um and uh, the U- us economy shrank by 0.7% in the first quarter of uh, this year. And uh, yeah, it's hitting people hard. You know, um, people overseas need to step up. And if you haven't donated and you've got an income and you're enjoying the show, I really invite you to come to freedomainradio.com. Your situation, of course, health first, absolutely. Roof over yeah. your head first. Uh, philosophy is a luxury, um, and not for the future, but certainly for the present. Uh, so I appreciate that. Is there no chance for your marriage? Is it? done like dinner.
4: Um, so unfortunately it appears that way. And, um, after listening to your show, um, and just, and just talking with my wife about where we both are in, in our feelings and emotions an emotional standpoint within our marriage, uh, we decided to, to go to couples therapy and, um, through that therapy, uh, brought up a lot of history for both of us that, um, either both of us we had spoken about but just never delved deeply into it. Um and, and these would just be random topics from our from our past. Um she had a very dissimilar past from myself. My past um had a lot of unique uh instances in it, which um I thought was pretty interesting that I couldn't reflect that in the A C E uh, uh I guess uh the, Questionnaire that comes with, with with the call-in show. Um, oh, that's
0: the uh, just for those who got the adverse childhood experiences questionnaire. So sorry, go ahead.
4: Oh yeah, no no issue. The, the one thing that um, I, I would say that maybe. Uh, because I, I, I don't know who wrote the ACE, but it, I, I do find the questions very valid in terms of determining that score because I've seen other people that have had um, scores way worse than myself. But uh, one of the things that I would add in addition to just parents performing some of the uh, abuses that are mentioned are um, siblings as well. Um, mm. If if that was put in there, my score would probably be higher. No, actually, not probably. It, it would be higher.
0: No, and it, it's not. it's not... How I would write it, not that anyone particularly cares, but it's not how I would write it, but uh, it is um something that seems to be pretty well researched and validated so it's a it doesn't deal with a lot of stuff i mean nothing in there about public school <laughs> so like, but but so yeah I, it's not a bad place to start, but yeah sibling sibling stuff is is definitely there And of course, there's no mention of uh, um female on male. Uh, violence, in particular, uh, I think there's some gender-specific stuff that goes the usual way, but nonetheless, uh, it's not a bad place to start.
4: Absolutely, no, I, I, and I agree because it did make me, at least before responding back, think about what you know, what was my history, what, what um, you know, what what aspects of my past affected me ne- negatively that may be affecting the way I think and feel about things in today's environment, and and especially with my marriage in terms of uh, you know, my wife choice, um, uh, which I can say now, uh, we shouldn't have gotten married. Um, just, just based on my personal self-knowledge, you know, gaining of self-knowledge, uh, my wife doing the same and both looking at each other and saying that, wow, you know, um, but, you know, we're, we're in our situation. We didn't, we're in our situation now just because we did not do our due diligence before we got married to, you know, really figure out these these really important positions, um, which we spoke about, such as, you know, having children, um, some financial things. But just we never delved so deep into them, which you should do before you get married, that uh, we're in a situation that we are now. Um, so –
0: I don't, uh, I don't feel like I have any particular clarity <clears throat> on the issues in your marriage, which, you again, you don't have to talk about, but um, that's a pretty big dance around an open grave without letting me see in.
4: <laughs> sure, sure. Understood. Um, I, well, I, I guess I just want to focus more um, since, I mean, since it's, it's pretty clear now that I'm, you know, the marriage is going to end and we're both going our separate ways. But, 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 but. But
0: look, you know, your marriage, I don't. So, but if both people are committed to the pursuit of self-knowledge, it seems to me that they should kind of arrive at the same place. And if one person is committed to self-knowledge and the other person isn't, then they're not going (laughs) to arrive at the same place. Now, you sound like the guy who's committed to self-knowledge. If your wife is also like, yeah, let's figure out our past, let's figure out our history and let's figure out our lives, let's figure out our childhoods it seems like uh, you might not end up into similar places after a while. Like if you both commit to the scientific method, one of you isn't going to end up thinking the world is banana-shaped, right?
4: Uh, no, that's that's very true. Um, I, well, I, I agree with your statement. Uh, where the disagreement comes in is is where my pursuit of self-knowledge um Going back into therapy and figuring, you know, myself out, uh, doesn't connect with my my wife's uh, pursuit of that same thing. Meaning that she has a different idea of what she wants out of life, and because of that, and me ignoring what she wanted out of life for so many years, and then realizing, oh, okay. Um, you know, this this is my mistake for not accepting what she wanted. Nor was I being upfront with what I wanted. That our our marriage was built on motivations that are not long lasting. Um, and thus, you mean lust? Uh, lust wasn't so much part of it. I would say that we both we both do love each other. The for me, there was love plus the fact that I met a woman that was able to accept my um, uh, accept the the things. I guess the different symptoms and, and things that have happened to me. Which I um, when when they did occur, I was in a, a lot of female relationships and uh, and and a lot of my friendships fell away when I first became ill, and I went from. And, and and when i say they went away i mean they literally went away uh, within a 72 hour period um so i found out pretty quickly who were friends and who were um you know people that just i wouldn't i would i just didn't have deep relationships with so uh when i met her she was extremely accepting of the fact that i was that that i told her i said look um you know, because of all these different symptoms and things that I have going on, and what I need to do to maintain uh, my health, I, you know, I am interested in marriage, but I'm not interested in having children, just for the simple fact that um, I, I just can't keep up. I can't physically uh, perform what I would want to be as a father. Um, and as long I was like. Uh, and, and I basically put that out as as one of the conditions to say look we we can move forward, but if this is not something you're comfortable with, then
0: you mean not having kids correct but so are you sorry, I just' want to understand like are you saying that um like people dads in wheelchairs shouldn't have kids
4: well that that's kind of what what I thought of um like what what degree um in, which kind of posed the question between like the mental and physical because I have both uh, – like both areas of, of my body have been damaged uh, mentally and physically. So for me um,
0: – Your brain sounds fine to me.
4: It, it, it sounds fine, but I've definitely declined <laughs> in my uh, mental capacities a little bit. Like I, I have um, – um, you know, it, it's a term I've heard you use a couple of times. It's like you know when you try to fog – Um, but the way that my brain works now, it takes me very, uh, um, I'm kind of stumbling a little bit now. And this is kind of one of the things I I have a hard time finding the train of thought to keep it. And, and in my job, which is very train of thought dependent, um, it, it, take, it requires me to invest a lot of energy into doing my job. Um, and, and one of the, uh, other symptoms I have is a, is a chronic fatigue syndrome, which, uh, it's worse than it sounds actually. So I'm, I really just don't have a lot of energy. So, and, and I see people with, with their children and, and trying to, and trying to raise kids. And I know myself mentally and physically just, just working, you know, the job that I have and maintaining the life that I have is, is difficult enough. And, um, you know, I, and, and knowing what I grew up with, um, you know, I wanted to be a better person than than you know my father at the time, um, and, and be there for my children. And and when this happened to me, that that really just erased any like any any, anything, any semblance of, of having that at that point
0: what's the i know it's always uncertain in these areas uh what's the prognosis in the long run I know it's already been a long run but going forward
4: um well according to some of the studies that are coming out uh it, it looks like from a, at least my nervous system from a from a standpoint it's just going to degrade slowly um to the point where you know the chances of myself having uh, Alzheimer's and other n- neurodegenerative diseases has has doubled, basically. Um, but the, again, the, these are all like uh, university studies where they're trying to just gather information at this point. But every time I see a new study coming out, I get, <laughs> I try to avoid it because none of it's ever good news. <laughs> um, but it, it, ju- it just looks like, uh, you, you know, there's not really a lot of hope at this point, just because it's not something that's, uh, uh accepted. Uh, and, and by that, I mean, you know, it, it isn't until recently that I've actually run into medical professionals that, that understand or, you know, have an idea. Whereas that, you know, taking the, the pills that I took could have really bad side effects. Whereas five years ago when I did this, uh, and was trying to find any help from any doctor, um, it was, it was just, like oh they, you know they, those pills can't cause those type of reactions that that's impossible. Um, but I think as more and more data is starting to show up and the FDA is starting to release more and more um, uh, warnings on on the labels to medical professionals, and and more and more studies are being funded to figure out why this is happening. Um, it's it's I, I tend to see more of a uh, change in when I start to speak to medical professionals about my condition which is good
0: (laughs) right so your wife does want to have kids um and you don't at the moment
4: um at first no uh after i would say about a mere about a i'm sorry after about a year uh she started bringing the topic up and um we were not after better.
0: about a year of what.
4: I'm sorry, after being married, about a year. Hmm. So we we married under the terms that you know if 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 we did get to the point where we did want to raise children, that we could probably um, handle a you know either foster care or adopt because uh, I'm adopted and she was adopted, and you know um, for myself, I I feel lucky in a sense based on the, my uh, biological parents, as, as much as I know of them, to be in the family that I am in. Um, and for herself, she was lucky, too, to come to this country uh, after her parents um, basically being murdered. And, you know, so we, we both feel very strongly about adoption and that um, there are children out there that you know, as, as you've said a few times that, you know, they, they didn't get to choose their parents and, you know, if their parents are of not great quality or they're just not around, or they've been given up to the state that, you know, like, well, if, if I have the opportunity to either foster or adopt that, I would be interested in doing that. And, uh, that, that changed a little while after we married, so that, that caused a little bit of a rift um, right off the bat.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry, Greg. I, I'm just trying to figure out the rift. Um,
4: uh, I'm sorry. So the, so the rift the was that she um, was mentioning that she wanted to have children of her own. And my rift with that was, well, we had a discussion about this before we married. Uh, I'm not sure why you want to bring this up now, you know, or if you're feeling uncomfortable about, you know, or, you know, our conversation about having children and and you were just saying that to go through with the marriage or, or not, or just placate the conversation.
0: Okay, so sorry. So originally you were going to adopt and then she said after you were married that she wanted biological children, is that right? Or her own children?
4: Um, it, it, that's close we we originally stated that uh, we didn't want children at first and but we said if our minds you know decide to change where we get to a point where we're comfortable because we were both um, we, you know with moving in together and just financially just trying to get our feet you know stable, you know try to find some solid ground like all right well we're not even gonna really think about children until we can do that first and if we do, um, I'm not interested of having children of my own and neither was she that if we did have children we would adopt or uh, um, get involved in foster care Uh, and then it was a year later that she decided that she wanted to have children of her own um, which which was very fleeting which which I I never understood that nor could get a clear answer about that could Uh,
0: never understand what her desire to have children of her own
4: well, no, no, I understand that part of it. The the part was it would be a conversation about having children of her own and then that that conversation would just disappear and and if I ever brought that up again, she was like, "You know, I I don't really understand what I was thinking and um uh you know, it's like I I don't know why I said that." And and that and that always kind of stuck in the back of my mind that you know, well she, you know maybe she didn't marry me for you know for me or maybe she just uh you know maybe I was just at the right place at the right time for this marriage and it just worked out in her benefit um so i
0: so you, you became suspicious of her motives to get married to you at all
4: um back then yes now not so much now that we're going through the, you know our our separation and divorce now that we're talking about now that we can have deeper conversations without the repercussions of, of the anger, which uh, we used to have, um, which the therapy was very helpful in uh, providing for us. Uh, so I, I I would say it, it's been a shift for both of us, whereas myself, I'm becoming more self-aware, and, and she herself is finding um, more – Emotional stability with her stel- with herself, which she didn't really have through the through a lot of our marriage.
0: Well, as um, like you say, her parents were basically murdered, so emotional stability would not be the natural offshoot of that,
4: right? I, absolutely. I, oh, I I agree, but I think um, the way that it, it was one of these situations where she never really accepted or spoke about it, and when she did, it was very matter of fact and so so you know if if the topic ever came up it was more or less you know this is what happened to me let's let's move on you know this and it, it was never really a discussion it was more of a statement this is what happened this is what happened to my parents this is how i came to this country and um you know, that, that's it. That's the end of story. You know, there, it, it wouldn't really be a conversation. So and, and I think with her doing that for so many years, it just became like a note card to read if if that topic ever came up. And it never was something where uh, she thought about it or spoke about it or actually, you know, delved into what happened and why it happened and, and what have you and i think when we started going to therapy and those topics started coming up i i started to notice a uh a change in her and um which of course i was going through changes myself while we were in therapy and and then we started to realize that you know we haven't been happy together for a long time and and us being married is just not something we want anymore at this point um and And uh, pretty much uh, we are where we are.
0: (laughs) Right. So there's no imminent possibility of you having to make a kid versus no kid decision if you're getting divorced, right?
4: Correct. So the uh, uh, the question came up during the time when we were speaking about it. And (laughs) the funny thing, well, I can't say it's funny at all the 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 same week where that where this question was posed on the on the uh, forums um, and it was recommended that hey this would be this would be something that you would want to do on a call in show that same week is when we both had our had a pretty uh, pretty intense discussion about where our marriage is going to go and um I, I think for the both of us we are both um just so emotionally uh, uh, like uh, spent it, it's at the point where there's not even enough adrenaline to, to be emotional about it anymore um, where I, I think after after the last few years just saying like okay look you know we, now that we've we've pretty much spent everything we can to try to make this work and and we just it's it's just not working <laughs> and and I'm I have to say I'm very thankful that there are no children involved um but uh yeah, yeah it's uh it's, it's this this is there's nothing easy about this and there's nothing uh um that I would there's nothing about this situation that I would wish on anyone this is this is just just a, a terrible situation to be in um but at the same time if if I have to look at the bright side I, I will say that you know the the both of us being unhappy so long and starting to make headway to getting our lives back um, is it is at least something to look forward to
0: right Well, I obviously can't give you any hard and fast answers about. As far as the morality goes of having children, it is immoral to have children that you cannot feed. Right. Well, I should say it's immoral to have and keep children that you cannot feed in the same way that it's immoral to bring a pet home from the animal shelter and starve it to death. Right. I mean, it's just wrong. As children are confined within the environment biologically and so on. So it's wrong to have children that you can't afford. Uh, to feed and to give some sort of reasonable level of comfort and medical attention and Clothing and you know, this is wrong because it's harmful uh, to the children to be in those situations Um, Very many children are in those situations. Of course, the majority of children around the world are in highly deficient situations and they find enough joy or happiness or positivity in life to keep going so um for yourself it sounds like you can make a living uh, so you could provide uh for your children would you have a huge amount of energy for your kids no you say you've got <clears throat> chronic fatigue and and it's enough for you to get past uh, to to get through your day at work and so on so um would you be able to do lots of rough and tumble play with your kids probably not but um There are people who have osteoporosis who can't do that either, and they will find other ways to bring happiness uh, to their children. And particularly if you have sort of friends and family around, other people can step up to take that slack. Not being able to have as much energy as you want for kids, well, um, I mean, my energy is pretty good, but, you know, still not quite what it was when I was 20, (laughs) and um, that's just a reality. Uh, that doesn't mean that I can't be a good father. It just means that I don't have quite as much energy as I did when I was 20. Almost three decades on, that makes sense. You obviously uh, have a, a great intelligence, an inquisitive mind. Uh, you're pursuing self-knowledge. So you're way uh, ahead of the curve as far as a lot of parents in this world would go. Um, I, you know, Would I rather have a father like you who was deficient in energy or a father who was not deficient in energy but... Uh, Was like a nasty, mean guy. Well, um, I'd choose you, right? (laughs) So that's a uh, a possibility uh, as well. And um, so I I don't see. Again, what do I know? I'm no doctor, but I don't think philosophically that there's anything in your condition that would render you somebody who just morally couldn't have children. You know, maybe if you were stuck in an iron lung or I don't know, whatever, right? You had to live in some sort of bubble container or something, that would be a bit more tricky. Mm. But um, I don't see that there would be anything inherent in your situation. Uh, I assume that this uh, ailments, these ailments, and I I wish there was a better, these chronic conditions, because there's no word strong enough to describe, of course, what you're going through. But if they, you know, made you prone to explosive rages and rampant strangulations, then, you know, that would be another matter uh, entirely. So, uh, yeah, you'll be tired, and uh, you know, guess what? Parents are tired a lot, uh, and you'll be tired more so than those parents who have full health. But does that mean that uh, nobody can have a kid who's over sixty? Well, people do, and um, who? And again, who knows what's going to happen in the future as far as treatments go, possibilities of reversing the damage that has been caused. Um, other ways of so lifestyle changes, diet changes that might give you more energy. You said that you'd be getting some satisfaction already. Who knows, right? So, you know, um, I mean, I've had cancer. Does this has mean I can't have other children because cancer can recur. Uh, there are lots of people who grow up with uh, one or even both parents missing and have great lives and great make great contributions to society and so on. So, I would not think that would be something that would be banned from me or or banned from you by any sort of foundational moral um imperative if that makes sense
4: yeah oh no it it does and um yeah, the 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 thought about uh, when you had cancer and brought that up as as a possibility for you know the moral case of having or not having children isn't is is an interesting one to me just because of I've seen it in my own family. Um, with, with relatives who've had cancer and, and didn't, uh, get through it. Um, and, and I think where my question is stemming from, because if, if you see me on the street, there's nothing about me that would indicate that there's anything wrong with me. Um, and, and this has always been the toughest part about, uh, dealing with this is that, oh, you know, you look fine and you, you know, just tough it out. And I'm like, well, um, you know between the pain the fatigue the uh you know the the neuropathy the uh the vision problems <laughs> i mean the list goes on um you know you know i can't convey uh my day-to-day you know uh i don't i don't know like uh I mean, basically, you know, I have these conversations, uh, with my father cause it took, a, it took a couple years for him to accept that this is not a, you know, a, um, uh, uh, what's the word, a hypochondriac, uh, sim- you know, th- my, my symptoms aren't caused like b- for being a hypochondriac. Like I'm actually going through some real issues and, um, we just had a conversation about this recently and, you know, about my symptoms and i I've been sending him data that of, of what the FDA is doing and all these other universities that are running studies. And, uh, and he's just getting it now. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I've been dealing with this for, for years now and, and no one believes me. You know, I found a few doctors that are helping and, um, you know what? What? What was the issue with it? You know what's? He's like, well, you know, you have a history of of issues that you know. I figured that you weren't making them up, but they weren't as severe as you were saying they were. And uh, that was that was pretty tough. And um, you know, just just to hear that the you know the closest people to you just don't believe you <laughs> for so long, and and I think that's basically part part of why I'm asking the question because it's, it's very, uh, um, it's insidious where it's, you know, if I'm having a really bad day, like I literally have to call off work in the middle of work and just go find a place to sleep for one or go find somewhere to go so I can take some aspirin just to, you know, move around and, um, you know, calm down the pain in my joints, um, or, or, you know, set my alarm to eat because an, another symptom I have is I've lost the ability to feel uh, hunger or uh, fullness. So I have to eat on a schedule just so I don't forget. Um, and and with all these weird symptoms and not really having a lot of uh, uh, um, help in the past has led me down some dark areas of uh, substance abuse for a little while. Um I mean, there's just, you know, when you're constantly being told that you don't have a problem, it's all in your head, and, you know, you're looking at your throbbing joints and (laughs) you can't move. I mean, it's, you know, after a while, you're kind of like, well, no one's going to believe me. No one's going to accept me. Um, But I did meet this woman that accepts me. I, I, I did meet you know, a couple other people that have had not similar experiences, but other, um, you know, adverse reactions to either medications. And, you know, that you, you can kind of build a foundation on, uh, I mean, it's not the greatest of foundations, but just a similarity of situations where you're like, Oh, you, Oh, you went through that. I went through through that too. It's like, and, and the tough part that I find is I haven't met anyone that is, um, in a similar situation that does have children <laughs> so i've always been kind of curious of what kind of uh parent i would be you know with with all of these adversities to you know like hey w- would i be able to 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 do a better job than my father you know did and my mother and uh you know could could i do it how would i find a mate and have them understand after all this is said and done that hey like you know you're you're getting into a bumpy car (laughs) you know if if we decide to go forward here
0: i just i i just i just greg i have to make a request that you keep you keep laughing or giggling about this stuff and i know it's painful so i just find that kind of disconcerting if you can try and tamp that back a bit i mean the challenge you of course we're going to have is that if you're deficient in energy you'll need a wife or mother for your children who has an excess of energy and a woman who has an excess of energy to compensate for your deficiency of energy might not be want to be with a guy who's deficient in energy if she has an excess of energy if that makes sense
4: no no it makes perfect sense
0: um you're going to have the most in common with somebody who's also gone through a chronic ailment like this and continues to go through it and therefore if that's the person you have the most in common with then you have two parents who have little energy and that may not be optimum again it's not a moral issue fundamentally if you can feed take care of the kids but uh it's um you can beg off from work it's really tough to beg off from parenting right yeah
4: well well, and i well i guess that's where the uh um i'm having the issue with with the morality of it so you know say for instance um you know myself and and a woman that has gone through the same thing and, and unfortunately is stricken with the same issues that I have i i would figure that from a moral standpoint like you know why would the both of us get together to to bring a child into the world where you know not only is the child uh you know requiring all the attention that you know that they should deserve as a you know being a child being raised by two loving parents, when the parents really do have to balance you know their own um, issues on top of work and life and and but
0: well, you but you probably couldn't do it. I mean it would it would have to be something you say you were talking about chatting with your dad. It would have to be a situation where you'd have to lean extensively on on extended family, right?
4: Yeah, yeah, no. That's
0: like maybe true. even have your parents live with you. Uh, and or or her parents live with you uh, and provide if they can or if they're retired or they have that desire to provide the kind of support. And, you know, I'm sure that there'd be some parents who'd be thrilled to be living grandparents and so on. Right. But to provide that kind of support uh, would be. um, It it seems to me would would be a good plan uh, if you want to have kids and you're going to be having some health issues, uh, having uh, people around who can really help shoulder the burden could would make, I'm sure, all the difference in the world.
4: Yeah, that's no, that's that's a very good point. Yeah. Hmm.
0: So yeah, whoever you marry, uh, try and make sure their parents are still, their parents are still alive, and unlike uh, your soon-to-be ex. Um, but um, I think that that would be part of the plan if you're interested in having kids and you have a deficiency of energy or some ongoing health issues. Uh, it's most likely that you know a woman of of intense, vibrant physical health and energy would probably have a little bit less in common with you. It could happen. I'm just, it's a possibility. True. Um, but so if the woman does have, um, not, if she's not, you know, 150% energy, then look for her extended family and your extended family to step in significantly to help out. And you know, May have a uh, may have a brother or a cousin or whatever who wants a place to live and is willing to help out with the family situation with that and can be uh, you know could end up better uh, in in some ways than than otherwise.
4: Yeah, ab- absolutely. I didn't even uh, really think about it in those terms. Um, but then, of course, you know, with the extended family, you know, it's that's always a mixed bag too. If you never meet them or they're estranged, and all of a sudden they come into the family. <laughs> Like, hey, why don't you come in and move in with us because, you know, we need Well, you'd lay, the, you'd
0: lay the foundation, right? I mean, oh, you yeah, have yeah, this yeah. Interview, so to speak, and, and you, you wouldn't try and drop it on people. But I think, you know, for you, uh, my, like if I were in your shoes, I would definitely look at how to backstop challenges I would have as a parent in terms of energy uh, and mobility and so on and figure out how to design a life that I could get the most support possible uh, and how to um, make sure I was providing as much value to others who were supporting me as possible, of course. And I think that could give you the village that uh, apparently some people think it takes to raise a child. Uh, by village, you know, Hillary Clinton means government, but uh, we mean it somewhat differently. Uh, you could have the extendorama uh, of um, the gene pool to help out or just friends could be any number of things. But uh, th- that, I think, would be the most uh, useful thing.
4: Sure. No, absolutely. That's, that's some some great points there I didn't really uh, consider. Thank you for that.
0: You're very welcome. And now that's something, of course, when you start looking, uh, that would be uh, need healthy parents, need healthy in-laws, strong, vigor, full of like oxen. Uh, and that would be something to chat about. Um, but uh, I mean, you've you've got a big heart, and and you've got a good head on your shoulders, uh, and um, yeah, so double the risk of Alzheimer's. I don't mean to toss that off like that's unimportant, but um, there's there's risks in just breathing. I mean, as far as oh, I'm yeah. aware. so, so uh, I wouldn't let that uh, paralyze you out of uh, out of reproduction, but. Uh, I'm a big, as I've said on the show many times, I'm a big fan of smart people breeding. I don't want my daughter to grow up in the remnants of idiocracy. Uh, uh, And so um, I'm a big fan of of smart people breeding. And uh, if you can find a way to get the right resources around you and uh, your uh, wife-to-be can figure out how to get the right resources, I don't see why you couldn't look back and say it's a blessing in disguise, as so many of life's supposed tragedies seem to be.
4: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. You really put a perspective on it that I never really uh, entertained um, just because of my current situation. Uh, it's just not I, – I, and I think um, for some of the listeners too, it's good to, to hear these things just because if you don't have that objective viewpoint from outside of your – you know, the tunnel of whatever it is that you're going through, it's, uh, it's difficult to see outside of that tunnel. Totally.
0: Yeah. And just, but just to be clear, I wouldn't say that I have an objective viewpoint. I just say it's a different perspective that can be helpful. Like a sort of supplementary perspective. Um, If I was making some rigorous philosophical argument, I'd probably claim more objectivity, but these are just perspectives that, you know, when you're staring at your own hand, sometimes it's tough to see the mountains in the background. So, and you've got a lot on your plate. You've got a lot of stuff to deal with. I mean, chronic ailments and pain, and the not just the physical pain but the, the emotional pain of not being believed about these ailments for so many years and not getting the support or even the sympathy from some people and a divorce and oh man it, and negative prognosis coming out of research i mean you got a lot on your plate so the idea that you're not seeing some big picture future stuff makes perfect sense to me
4: yeah um, but uh, again i thank you for clarifying that it's um it, it's it's still good to hear that you know, you know things. I guess that, that if you haven't thought of, or you know, with the blinders on, as a horse, <laughs> you know, down right. you know in New York or something. But uh, but uh, but again, I appreciate the the viewpoint and in discussing the you know the morality, um, or you know basically, what would make it more feasible. I guess for, for people such as myself and, um,
0: you're still in the top 1% of potential parents on the planet. You know, you think of being this fetus hanging from these umbilical cords in this giant Rawlsian universe outside of time and space saying, okay, you can choose from these half billion parents in India or this guy in North America uh i think he's kind of tired though and he's got some aches and pains and i don't mean to diminish what you're saying but i mean um, what you're experiencing i think pretty much the babies are like well that's india they got lots of energy but you know flies monsoon crazy cattle then walking through the streets and elephants stomping on people on a regular basis this guy's low energy he's going to take some naps and and he's going to have some aches and pains but you know xbox or whatever you know like i mean I still think you'd be in the top 1% of potential parents for people on the planet. So, um, yeah. that would be my perspective. You know, whenever you feel down about where you are at, either look historically or look globally. And I, I'm not saying it erases everything, but it can give you some of that jolt that reminds you, uh, about the good things. And, and at least you didn't get struck with this, you know, in a slum in Mumbai or something like that, in which case, I don't know what even remotely would have happened to you.
4: Yeah. Um, and it it's funny well it's not funny that you mention that but it's uh interesting where um a few of the people that have joined the forums are exactly from mumbai taking you know this medication and some of them are having a lot of issues as well and it's uh it's a global thing and uh, you know I, I i just hope more studies and more research is done to help people uh, such as myself and others that are experiencing this. And um,
0: can you mention the? Um, uh, you said it was antibiotics. Well, what was the? What was the brand or, or the the type of pill that that set all this in motion?
4: Um, well, for myself, uh, it was under a class called a uh, fluoroquinolone antibiotics. Um, the the main ones that you may have heard have been uh, cipro, Avalox, and uh, Leviquin. and um, I had taken. Uh, Cipro and Avalox without any effect, but um, for myself personally...
0: Without uh, any negative effect, I assume that they killed the bacteria or whatever, right? But without...
4: Correct. yeah. But, okay, uh, okay. And then um, when I was uh, prescribed the leviquin pills, uh, three pills in, I was pretty much close to death in less than 48 hours. Um, it was... Uh, to say the reaction was severe, uh at, I can't think of a word to describe um what happened in those forty eight hours and then the six months later and then uh, the it year. sounds like
0: one step back from spontaneous combustion like that's like one percent less than spontaneous combustion was your body's reaction
4: right pretty much um it was i i mean i couldn't you know um if someone tries to describe you know what they're feeling they'll try to to give you an explanation and say, well, Steph, you know, you, you've had flu before, so you know what flu feels like. So these are, this is what I was feeling. Um, what what I experienced with with the nerve uh, damage, the uh, insomnia, the uh, uh, the joint. I, I mean, and, and none of it correlates. None of it really. So you know, I go to one doctor and uh, tell him this is what what's going on, and. You know, I, I, they'll tell me, oh, you have cancer. No, you don't have cancer. You have Lyme disease. No, you don't have Lyme disease. You have, you know, X, X Y, Z. You you pick some rare disease and that's, that's what you walk away with. And, the, you know, well, what do I do? Like, well, um, we don't know. Uh, you know, start and and I and this was literally told to me the first time I went back after having this uh the, the first doctor I went to was literally said I don't know um go do yoga or something and mm. and you know that and it just I don't mean to laugh but I'm I'm thinking about it now and it's you know that I just remember how hopeless <laughs> oh god but uh yeah, yeah so
0: yeah I mean they might as well tell you you're you you've been possessed by the demon of aches and pains and you need to go pick a pilgrimage to the Pope I mean it just doesn't have any relevance to the underlying pathology as far as I understand
4: absolutely and and if that's what they told me to do you better believe I was gonna do it <laughs> right? if dude, it's, it was,
0: it's the Pope I need it's the Pope I'll get
4: right right so um, yeah so I, I've tried a lot of Crazy things, and some have worked, and you know, some were just a lot of waste of time, uh, money, and energy. But uh, at least I tried them. Um,
0: right. But uh, it's—I'm well, I'm real sorry about. I mean, obviously, I'm incredibly sorry about you know, just three pills, and wham, your life just takes a completely different direction for the worse. And uh, um, what was the name of the website? Um,
4: um, it's,
0: org.
4: Yeah, it's—it's it's called uh, saferpills.org. Oh.
0: saferpills.org yeah people can check it out i've never visited it and i don't know what's in it but uh, if it's good enough for you <laughs> i'm happy to have you talk to other people about it uh, do do keep us posted about how it goes you know i i sure hope that there's some positive news that comes out of research and potential treatment uh, and i'm incredibly sorry about uh, what happened to you it's uh, it's horrendous and uh, Life isn't the same afterwards. Um, There are some benefits, but nobody ever wants to go through all of those challenges just to reap those tiny rewards sometimes. So I am incredibly sorry. I I hope that you can find someone that you can have kids with if that's what you want. And I certainly think you can do it with a clear conscience if you can get a good support system in place. And uh, yeah, keep us posted if you can, Drake. And uh, again, my my deepest sympathies.
4: I will. Thank you very much. I definitely appreciate it. It's the fun. All right. Take care, man. All right. Have a good one.
0: Thanks, everyone, and uh, freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out the show. Thanks, everyone, so much for calling in. It's always a great pleasure to chat with you. We'll talk to you soon.